0: Coming up, nothing major other than the craziest Oscars of all time, which we'll break down with Jimmy Kimmel and basketball with Ryan Rossello. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars tonight. What is going on? It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game, I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today, learn more, and enter for your chance to win at miclobultra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. We're covering the crazy Oscars, left and right. The Big Picture Podcast, Sean Fantasy broke the whole night down. He is taping right after the Oscars, so it'll probably be up right after this one goes up. You can listen to that. You can listen to Ringer Dish, Amanda Dobbs, and Juliet Libman are going to be on there breaking down the uh, craziest moment in Will Smith's career. And The Town, Matt Bellany, who's also calling into the big picture with Sean Fantasy, He is going to have the uh, Monday reaction on his new Hollywood podcast that he's doing for us. Coming up on this podcast, we taped, Riscilla and I taped for an hour and a half plus at 5.30 Pacific time, kind of during the most boring part of the Oscars. And it was all basketball. We finished. I was very excited about the podcast. We we're going to put it up. I was like, eh, maybe I'll wait, make sure nothing crazy happens with the Oscars. Maybe Will Smith will lose. Maybe we'll get some crazy big picture nominee. Who knows? Who knows what'll happen? Held off putting the pod right up. And then the Will Smith thing happens. And Jimmy Kimmel, who was involved in the previous craziest moment in the history of the Oscars, he's going to come on right at the top to talk about it. Then Marcello NBA. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, taping this part of the podcast, 8.47 Pacific time, right after the Oscars. We saved this part of the podcast just in case anything weird happened. I thought maybe like Chris Rock, who, who knows, that maybe he'd get slapped by Will Smith. I don't know. I thought Will Smith might get upset for Best Actor, but he actually got upset. Jimmy Kimmel is here. He's hosted this thing a couple times. This was the craziest thing ever. You're off the hook. You're no longer involved in the craziest Oscars moment.
1: I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, what what fun is it to be involved in the second craziest Oscars moment, you know?
0: Well, that's where, that's where you've landed, my friend, because you were the host for La La Land versus Moonlight. When you texted
1: me and said, we're going to go on, tape something, it reminded me of when Mike Tyson <laughs> bit not one, but two of Evander Holyfield's ears. <laughs> And we were I was doing a radio show. as the sports guy at K Rock in LA and we were off the next week and I went in alone because I couldn't let it pass. I I had to be on the air the next day. I think I was planning to go to vacation on vacation, I was like I'm going into work tomorrow morning. I called the station. They're like, what? I said, Yeah, I, I'm gonna go in. They said, Well, Kevin and Bean are not gonna be there. I said, Well, I'll be there. I'll be
0: taking calls. This and I actually
1: posted the show myself because I couldn't
0: miss the opportunity. I'm glad you brought up Tyson Holyfield. I think that kind of was on this level. Will Smith walked up to the stage after a joke he didn't like and slapped Chris Rock. And then they did the weird Oscar thing where it seemed like they had technical difficulties. Thank God. This is one of the few. Thank God for Twitter times probably ever. Let's go yeah, to Twitter. Yeah. Is there any other alternate angle? Suddenly there's an Australian angle of what happened and he really did hit him and, and, I I think not only the craziest Oscars moment ever, but one of the craziest moments ever. This is probably the craziest celebrity altercation ever.
1: Yeah. And especially when you consider the characters involved, like the nicest guy in Hollywood. This is like, if you know, only if Tom Hanks got up and smacks,
0: cracks somebody across the face. Oh my God. Only thing comparable, right? I wonder, so Chris Rock's up there. He makes the joke. Now, I don't think he realized that will smith's wife had a condition which i don't think he makes the gi jane 2 joke knowing she has alopecia right i hope i would hope not i would
1: hope not but it didn't seem like an off-the-cuff joke although i guess it could have been i don't know
0: i didn't even really get the joke to be honest with you well i think because he he was saying she had a shaved head so that was the gi jane 2 because that was the demi moore movie where she shaved her head but right yeah Yeah. And she got mad immediately. Yeah, get that,
1: but, you know.
0: (laughs) No, but but she got mad immediately. Because I guess she probably thought he
1: was doing that, which I'm sure he wasn't. I'm I'm sure she probably thought he knew what she was going through, medical, medical, and and was being cruel. And if you watch it, it's interesting because Will Smith laughs at the joke and then they cut back to Chris. And the next thing you know, Will walks up to the stage, and it, it, it's interesting because um, he slaps him, and I said to my wife, they did a really good job with that. That looked really good. Like <laughs> Chris didn't like overreact, and, uh, and Will didn't overreact. And I was like, these guys did a really solid job with that moment. And then everything Oh, was, so
0: you thought it was a bit?
1: For the first, until everything was bleeped out. Yeah, I, of course, I sh- sure did. I mean, I thought it was, something was planned. I mean, he came walking up. It was even shot very well. And my wife reminded me that you know Denzel Washington wound up kind of in the middle of it because uh as soon as it ended he pulled Will Smith aside and said something to him. Denzel Washington was in the middle of of the La La Land uh Moonlight Moon uh moon. light fiasco as well. He's the right. one who told me to like he was directing me from from the audience because I was just up there fucking around.
0: So um, maybe he's the common denominator here. <laughs> he's like the zealot of crazy Oscar moments. Yeah, I remember I went to your office like two days after that La La Land Moonlight thing. And I think the opening of the pod, and I was like, this this could be like the first paragraph of your obituary. They'll mention all the things you did. And it was like, and hosted the craziest Oscars of all time. Yeah. This this thing, I mean, this thing leapfrogged. I feel like we're going to be talking about this for a year. a year. Do you have a show tomorrow? You must have a show tomorrow, right? Yeah, we have a show tomorrow. <laughs> this year. is going to be I our could... whole show tomorrow.
1: I see this going on for decades, easily. <laughs> easily. I wonder if they'll put it in the Great Moments montage. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that was crazy. That was
0: absolutely crazy. Well, so then, By the way, you have to hand it to Chris Rock. He barely flinched. He did. He took it. So his hands are behind his back. Yeah, his hands and are behind he his sees, back. He sees Will coming up, and I'm wondering... At some point, you you must notice in the person's eyes that they're losing it a little bit. I don't think and it's he weird. Did. I think I think he he was like, oh, okay, this is going to be funny. This is going to take it another step, you know. Oh, like he thought he was going to do like a fake hit or something, but then he yeah. actually slapped them. Yeah, but yeah, then something. Yeah. there was one angle where somebody slow moed it, and Chris takes it, and he falls to the right, and then his hands come out, and he looks like he's like, oh my god, I'm going to have to fight Will Smith which yeah. I think some people might have actually like tried to fight back. I think he was had the cooler heads prevail thing, but what if he had kind of chargeable Smith and they actually had like a naked gun type of brawl on the stage. Like they spilled into, you know, the cast that was in that play. That would have made it so much worse. Well, I Matt Bellamy was there and he said, yeah. apparently in the room, it was like the all time, like, appalled what is going on and like just appalled over the ceremony from that point sure on. you feel bad for a lot of people i
1: mean I, I you have to feel bad for amy and wanda and regina you know the they had some really great moments and now this is what people are going to be talking about you feel bad for quest love and the producers of right uh, that was his award know, soul that was he was on right afterwards and he had that sweet moment with his mom talking about his dad and um and you know of course i mean chris rock certainly didn't deserve that but in a way i feel bad for will smith too because i think he let the uh let his emotions get the better of him and he is um and, and this should have been one of the great nights of his life and now it's it's not and now it's it, was there anyone who didn't like will smith um an hour ago in the world like right. no one right and um now, uh, he doesn't have a single comedian friend, that's for sure. I mean, the uh, if you look at Twitter, uh, comedians are really mad. I think they all feel like they're next.
0: <laughs> well, there was a lot of like death of comedy stuff. Jeff Ross, our friend, was pretty traumatized by it. Well, that's he just, and
1: Chris Rock are really good friends, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, like, what if Will Smith had hit Jeff? We would be really mad, right? You
0: know, we'd be really upset. Right.
1: So I think that's probably the way Jeff is looking at it.
0: Yeah, because it if you think, like, who are the winners, other than people who just love insane TV moments that they didn't expect, um, Will Smith and Chris Rock lose. Because there's, there's no path out for Chris Rock that, like, there's no way to unravel this. The well, only way they could unravel it is if they get together and they like publicly make up and they try to diffuse it. But we'll spend, even mention Chris him Rock, in the
1: speech. I don't know that Chris Rock loses because first of all, he handled himself as well as he possibly could have. Second joke. I'm sure he didn't know, you know, if he knew it was a different thing, but I'm sure he didn't know that she had right. the condition. So and he's got
0: to make that clear.
1: He has to make that clear. And, um, you know maybe i don't know maybe that will maybe that will be what okay i don't know who knows (laughs) all i know is the craziest goddamn things i ever saw all these people complaining the Oscars are going to be boring they were wrong daniel kellison our buddy turned it off about what an hour and in he's like okay that's enough i'm not watching this and then we start texting
0: about what was going on he's like "Well, what happened i said you know what happened you fucked up that's what happened you should have left the show on I told my wife took my son to a flag football game tonight Yeah, and I was texting her and she thought I was kidding. And then I called when I was, when they were on the way home and I was like, can you believe that happened? And she's like, wait, that was a real thing that happened. I just assumed you were kidding. And I'm like, no, Will Smith walked on the stage and slapped Chris Rock really hard.
1: You know, we did a bit last week where we went out in the street and we told uh, people crazy things that celebrities had said before the Oscars. None of them were even close to as crazy as
0: this. (laughs) That's true. You wouldn't have even been able to make that up at a writer's meeting. Well, there's a couple other things. So Will Smith gives the speech. Yeah. You know he's going to win. It suddenly becomes yeah. the single most anticipated Oscar speech ever. You have no idea. Is, is he going to apologize? Is he going to acknowledge it? What? What? How is he going to play it? And he played it like a guy who was still mad that he had to like, you know, it, it seems like he's just tired of all the shit he took over the years and yeah. turns it into the Richard Williams thing and then says this thing about Denzel how he talks about how Denzel copped, basically calmed him down but during a commercial. And he said, Denzel told me, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Right. That was an actual thing Denzel Washington had to say to Will Smith during a commercial break at the Oscars.
1: Very Shakespearean. And probably the first time the... Uh, loser of the Oscar was consoling the winner of the Oscar <laughs> right I didn't think of that
0: <laughs> it really seems like Denzel is the most important person at all of these things well we had uh, we had Will Smith winning the Oscar yeah and now somehow that got lost we waited watched we've known this guy for 30 plus years this is supposed to be the highlight of the Oscars tonight other than us winning our Coda bet which we yeah, did that we was had so, Coda right. plus 850
1: can I tell you something I, I shouted um, loudly uh to my children. Daddy just won four thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> and you know, to, you know, my my daughter thinks that me you know, that's it. Well, that's I guess we're I guess we're, we're rich forever, you know, what are we gonna do? And she was confused, and my wife was annoyed that I mentioned this in front of them and um <laughs> they so then cut. I announced that we're gonna give it all to homeless people. So now now we're giving it all to homeless people. So well, I Well that's that's I still this. a win. I know well sure it is, but you know it's um It it was, I think, a bad message to send to your children, which I was able to quickly at the last moment turn into a good message. Yeah,
0: Smart. Well, we had code at plus 850. That was the message I cared about.
1: Yeah, and that was your call, and that was all you, and I have to say thank you and congratulations. It's funny. You can make a lot of money doing a lot of stuff, and there's nothing more exciting than betting $500 on a movie that nobody thought would win Best Picture a month ago
0: and winning. That turned out to be the only major upset. It went, the Oscars went chalk, but Coda wasn't even upset because by the time it came out today, it was like minus 160. Yeah. Um They, I mean, it start to finish one of the weirdest Oscars. So what, what happens even ending with the Liza Minnelli thing, which I'm, you know, all, <laughs> all due respect to Liza for hanging in there all these years, but I'm not, not sure she was ready to be on stage. Like that was Pretty crazy, but what happened? How, so if-
1: how about when it was almost over and she announced how excited she, she did her like opening line again? I she
0: she, she wanted the second <laughs> take of it. Uh, so what if you're the host? Yeah. What are you doing? So Will Smith walks up and slaps Chris Rock. Oh, you're the host. I'm. Going what are out the next there. twenty
1: minutes for you looking like? I am I am very very angry if they don't put me on stage after that moment. Now I know they were over and even with kind of cutting all those extra categories, they still went 38 minutes over. Part of it was because of Will Smith's speech, but not, not all of it. Certainly I would have been very, very upset if they didn't let me on stage to say something about that. I mean, they made Amy wait like what, like 17 minutes. Right. I mean, in fact, they gave that moment to Diddy who was, inexplicably presenting the godfather
0: <laughs> yeah, what <was> <laughs> yeah what was that i, I don't, don't know. understand at least that at all snoop
1: dog he's the dog father you know if you're gonna give it to a hip-hop star that would be the one but That's yeah a great they, point. i don't know why they did that but um yeah diddy is the only one that really
0: got comment on it but the thing is if you had been the host yeah i it, maybe not everybody knows this listening, but you love nothing more than like a super awkward moment like that. Oh yeah. Like you're, you're, the more uncomfortable it is, the more you're going to j- kind of gravitate toward trying to make light of it. I'm a lot, I'm much the same way. Like that's just a weird thing where some people just, they see something like that and they just immediately, they, their reflex mechanism is to try to be funny because they're uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. I would have pulled the sign language interpreter, interpreter onto the state and said, Hold on. We need to explain um to the cast of Coda what just happened.
0: <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then do you acknowledge Will Smith? What do you do? Uh like do, do you, I acknowledge do Will you, Smith? Do you do the whole thing like, well, looks like I'm not gonna be making any jokes about Will. Like <laughs> like do you, it's the elephant in the room. You have to kind of bring him back, right? Yeah, you have to bring him back. It's tough
1: because he can't do it too quickly. Like, cause Chris kind of made a joke, but it was two you, people were still in shock right you need like four minutes or maybe even five minutes i don't know depending upon and the line needs to be great you know whatever you whatever you come up with needs to be great but those are the really thrilling moments you know because you can have jokes written for weeks leading up to the oscars and you could try them out with all your friends or your comedy writer buddies and this one works this one doesn't this one's too much But the jokes that really, really work are the ones that that are are about what just happened, you know. Well, and and also
0: you you can feel in the room what the room needs. I mean, maybe the room, the the atmosphere in there was like maybe you can't even make a joke right away. Yeah. Did you notice the um the
1: music for the in memoriam montage was very upbeat? Right. They tried to.
0: They seemed like they tried to cheered it up. Yeah. It was, it was one of the most bizarre telecasts. I was doing a podcaster or the most boring part finished and yeah. got to see basically all the stuff when it went off the rails. And I that I, it I don't was pretty
1: good overall. I have to say, I, I think they did a pretty good job with it. It was, um, you know, there were some entertaining moments and, um, I thought Amy's monologue she did was, was the solo monologue funny. was good. Yeah, I agree. And, um, and, uh, you know, there's some fun stuff in there, you know, There's some fun moments, but um, uh, none of them will be remembered other than this one. And that's the way it goes. And that's that's uh, it's a shame in in a lot of ways, because this is a big night for a lot of people, including the hosts who I obviously empathize with, you know, right. You you do a good job. And then um, it's it's the third or fourth
0: story the next day. So what do the PR people tell Will Smith tonight and tomorrow? What's um roof?
1: I think this has got to be an emotional roller coaster like uh, no one has ever experienced before for his uh publicity person because it this should have been just a night of of pure triumph and instead it is like a it's a crisis I mean I would imagine they're trying to figure out what to do right now
0: so he I might be on your show happen- tomorrow
1: um well that would be great I don't really I don't necessarily in fact actually we asked him to be on the show tomorrow and um and he declined but um I'd be more interested in talking to Chris Rock, really, because um, his experience needs to be shared. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't wind up in situations like that much, not once you get out of junior high school, anyway.
0: Well, the other thing is Will Smith's like he's a solid six three, so if he's, he's well, walking guy Yeah. He's walking toward you and he's angry that <laughs> you're on a live telecast. That's quite an experience. All right. I look forward to watching your show tomorrow. Thanks for popping on with us. All it was right. good to see you. Uh,
1: what a night, huh? What a night. <laughs> and thanks again for, the, for bringing me in on that code of bet. You're great. welcome.
0: It was my pleasure. Bye. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know. Or maybe you think it's something minor. So why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for you. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those. They bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries, maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer, BetterHelp, a convenient and flexible way since entirely online right now, it's easy to get started too. you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, dot com slash Bill Simmons. All right, it is an action-packed Sunday night. We are taping this, it is 5.30 Pacific time. The Oscars are happening, there's basketball on, USA is up five nothing, it's Panama. Ryan Rossillo is here. We wanted to get this up because we have a lot of basketball to talk about. There are two great games just now. One of them wasn't that great because the Celtics killed the Timberwolves. They're now in first place in the East, we'll talk about them later. We have been waiting, Rosillo, to talk about the Suns because we knew that we would have many, many rounds in many, many weeks to talk about Phoenix. But now we can't resist because there's some all-time potential with them. There's some Booker MVP conversation that we want to dive into. And most important, they came back from double digits against Philly tonight. Philly was looking frisky. Booker got in foul trouble. None of it mattered because Phoenix has been a machine all season. They throttled them. It was a two-point game with four minutes left all of a sudden, and Phoenix just did the thing where they just get four stops in a row and they score four straight times, and suddenly the game's over. Should we start thinking about this as at least an all-time regular season team? Because I think I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I don't really get what the hang-up is. Uh, maybe it's just because of
2: losing in the finals, blowing a lead. Could be, you know, if you, have, you don't have a title in your back pocket, it's tougher for us to give you the benefit of the doubt. There's certainly a lot of the anti Chris Paul stuff because of the playoff failures, which you've covered a million times in the podcast. So maybe it still feels like it's new because we're not even through a completed second season with this group, but they have been on an absolute tear. Bill and the clutch numbers will get to him at some point. But Mm. tonight's tonight's another perfect example. Like as soon as we need to take over this game, we're going to take over this game. They even went 11 and four without Chris Paul through the stretch. But at first, when you heard about the injury, you're like, ah, not this again. That could end up being something with him. That's terrific because it gives him a few weeks of rest on top of everything else. Booker's been incredible. We know exactly who they are. They're head and shoulders a bit above what is still the better conference in the West, despite more entries into the conversation from the East. So I think it's just because of Paul and it's still sort of new. But whenever I see some of these projections and people talk, I just feel like Phoenix is completely
0: undervalued. There's a calmness to them, especially in these tight games. That's ridiculous. And I, I was looking up those clutch stats today. I'm sure you were. Booker and Paul are both over fifty percent field goal in like these clutch four minutes or less situations. I think to after today they're thirty one and five in games five points or less.
2: Thirty and one uh, six, yeah.
0: Thirty one and six, yeah. It's just ridiculous. And one of the things I was thinking because there was some Booker MVP buzz over the weekend, which I, I no, he's not going to be the MVP, but he's going to be in the top five. And we'll talk about some of the historical stuff. What? What I was thinking was there are these weird seasons over the years when there can almost be a duo MVP that trumps whoever the actual MVP was. And I'm wondering if the Chris Paul Booker combo will remember. There's been other examples of this. I I think LeBron and Wade in 2011 was a good example. Uh, Durant and Curry together in 2017. That Warriors team was so good in 2017 they didn't even have a top five MVP. Going way back, there was West and Wilt, 1972. There was a Cowens-Havlicek 1973. So sometimes the team is awesome, but there's not one guy that's responsible for it being awesome and we kind of don't know what to do with the MVP thing. I'm going to remember the Suns' backcourt probably first out of anything from this regular season. I don't know. Would you Would you have another candidate for that? If you're just like, how am I going to remember this season 10 years from now? I would probably start with Paul and Booker.
2: Yeah, Booker's not going to be the MVP. Uh, and I know we'll get to that later when we start talking about the MVP guys at the top of it, but know his shooting which when you think of him as always the shooter I mean what he's done since the all-star break he's 40 percent from three what I've always loved about his game back when they stunk was that he initiated a lot of the offense but what you learn from that is that when Paul has missed time like he did or other big playoff positions if somebody decides to trap or blitz or whatever and we see a lot of these teams trying different things with really just trying to shut off the ball handler uh Booker's totally comfortable in that role and we saw that you know like I went through these 15 games without him And, you know, they played, I think, six playoff teams. Obviously, the playoff team definition is a little different now with the play in group adding two bad teams in both conferences. But, you know, Ayton may not end up being, you know, a one of a franchise guy. But what I've always loved about him and we saw tonight, it's, you know, there's something very simple about body size in basketball. And, you know, sometimes, you know, about Belichick? I know you'll love this because we went past five minutes into the podcast. But yeah, whenever they would have like a different matchup with like a bigger guy, like what they loved about Taleb was they loved that they could body match him. And again, you don't have to listen to me. Brewski used to tell me about this stuff. He'd be like, sometimes Bill would just want to have body matchups because it just it just made sense. I mean, unless the guy's incredibly slow and is going to get torched. Ayton is somebody that's gifted enough to to fight with perimeter players. And even though Embiid dwarfs him in this game today, and Embiid still had sick numbers, so I'm not like saying like Ayton shuts him down, but it's a it's a super mobile big that you never really have to worry about taking off of the floor. And they're they're deeper because they have JaVale, who they didn't have today, which is actually a big thing and probably why they got down because the bench got smoked. I mean, Biombo, who we thought would retire five years ago, I mean, something <laughs> to be said of playing with Paul. Bridges, you never know what's going to happen. He can get you 25. Cam shot the hell out of the ball before he got hurt again. And they're just, they're deeper. And that's not even including Crowder and Shaman at some point too. So they're a deeper team and they're a better team than they were last year. And I feel like people are just kind of meh about them.
0: They demolished Harden today. Now Harden partially demolished himself because it doesn't look like he can get anybody that by anybody the same way that he used to. But all, the Suns had probably four or five guys who could just stay in front of him, and he was doing the thing where he's just trying to lurch into guys because he wasn't beating, he wasn't getting by them. But we've seen this with them over and over again. These perimeter guys come in a lot of confidence, and the Suns just they just throw waves of dudes at them. And then if if that doesn't work, then you have Aiton waiting in the back. And then on the other end, they I just love the shots I get. They've been, you look up, they're 61. Can, can, can I like,
2: interrupt you real quick though on that, what you were talking about? Because Harden tried to dribble Booker to death. Yeah. And Booker just stayed. Didn't work. And was like, all right, dude, you want to do a fucking dribbling drill in front of me? All right, go ahead. And he doesn't move. He can't shake him.
0: It was Kobe-esque. Then- the way he was treating it was Kobe-esque, how he was kind of just staring at Harden with kind of semi-contempt. Do, well, you finish all your dumb shit, but if you're actually going to try to go by me, you're not going by me. Yeah,
2: and he, he, didn't, he didn't shake him at all. Harden didn't even really try to go. He just went between his legs a million times, and then Booker stayed up. And then Harden tried to like, all right, well, I'll just go into a jumper and get a foul. And he tried his stuff, and Booker just didn't go for it. And Booker, you're totally right. It's like a great pickup by you. Booker was like annoyed, like dismissive <laughs> He was annoyed about it. the
0: whole game. <laughs>
2: And this is 22 going,
0: in the first quarter. He was like, fuck this guy. I'm better than him.
2: And the other thing, this is a carryover too, the Minnesota game where they went in there, and that was a really good game. But at the very end, Phoenix is kind of like, we're going to slap you guys around a little bit. And Booker's getting teed up after he dunked on D'Angelo Russell, uh, or D'Angelo yeah. Russell and started saying, like, I don't have any friends. You're not my friend. I don't, right? You know, like Booker has an, an edge and a nasty to him, that, uh, to himself now that seems to be growing. And that was super evident in that one thing you were talking about
0: with Harden. Well, you also had, obviously, Chris Paul is the most important thing that's happened to Booker's career, having this guy pass through his life. Chris Paul has two guys on the Sixers team that he's not like, I don't know, nuts about Doc and then Harden.
2: Well, did you see what was going on at the end? I mean, first of all, they were oh, and yeah. hunting as much as they possibly could. Oh and yeah. They were even doing different stuff where they were like setting the second screen. Like the first one is like, you think we're not going at Harden. We're actually going at Harden in the second one. Yeah. And then the DeAndre Jordan minutes, which I think any Sixers fans would be like, you probably just cover your eyes or fast forward through them at that point. But Paul hit that layup and looked at Doc. And then he hit another jumper where they were just struggling. Like there was one where Harden even fell down where Paul up fake for a jumper and then just a nice dime to Aiton and Harden had fallen down past it. Paul had like two or three moments. in the I mean, Doc, I didn't even think noticed it because Doc's got to say like, let's get it to Maxi,
0: <laughs> Right. But you're right. Like, and again, this isn't surprising. It's Chris Paul. There was a crowd or three that finished the game right in front of the Sixers bench where he did like the, Double hop step stare down move, which I enjoyed immensely. Uh just in general, there there was some definitely like like under the radar contempt that the Suns had, but that's the way they've gone all season. They're sixty-one and fourteen.
2: Say that they again. Have, Say that they're again.
0: Si- <laughs> they're sixty-one and fourteen. So now we're talking, and look, this is why I love the eighty-two game season. This is why I love how all the seasons relate. I I think sixty-six wins is the cutoff. For if you go 66 and 16 or higher, something really happened here. So, all right, going down 2016 Warriors 73 9, 96 Bulls 72 10, 97 Bulls 69 13. The underrated kind of oh, yeah, by the way, our our second best season 69 13, 72 Lakers same thing 69 13, Wilt 67 6 or 68 13, and then the 73 South, 68 14. That was My dad's favorite Celtic team, Havlicek separated his shoulder them, not winning. Then we dip to 67 and 15. That's the 16 Spurs, which is such a weird one. I I don't know. You go back and look at that 2016 season, there's like a weird talent deficiency and some weird records. 07 Dallas, 0-0 Lakers, 92 Chicago, 86 Boston, and the 17 and 15 Warriors. And then the 66 and 16 club is 13 Miami, 09 Cleveland, 08 Boston, 71 Milwaukee. I mentioned this because I just mentioned 17 teams. Those are 17 best records ever. 12 titles. One of them lost in the finals. And then the other four times didn't work out, but 12 titles. So if you're 66 or higher, you already have a two thirds chance to win the title according to history.
2: Yeah. Whenever you do this, I I always forget that, that, uh, that 83 Sixers team that I loved 65 wins you're right because I remember the Sixers the Sixers are going for 70 cover of sports illustrated because they were on such a tear I mean right. I don't think anybody wants me to go through a game log here the 83 Sixers
0: No they tailed off though I I they actually did. think they could have had they could end up at 67 68 the 86 Celtics were the same thing where there's some of those cuz I remember I did that for my book there's some seasons where the the teams they didn't realize that they should be going for it more like the 71 Bucks Easily could have gone higher. But, you know, so, all right. So we have that club, right? 66 wins or higher, that's 17 teams. But then this is interesting. There's only seven teams ever that hit that club, but also eight wins more than the second best team. And this is what the Suns are right now. Right now, they're nine games better than the second best team of the league. All right, so here's that list. We have the uh, 67 Sixers plus eight. 72 bucks plus 14. They go 66 and sixteen. Next best team at 52 wins. 73 Celtics plus eight. 92 Bulls plus 10. 96 Bulls plus eight. 2,000 Lakers plus 12. And then I'm going to throw in the 1960 Celtics. 59 and 16, but 10 wins higher. All seven of those teams won the title. So they're plus nine. My point is, you can get the Suns right now on FanDuel for even odds to win the fucking West. All the indications are that unless one of these dudes gets hurt, they're making the finals and they're probably winning the title. That's what all of the history says. And get ready to go to Phoenix for four rounds, national media.
2: I want to share the last clutch number that I have for you because this is staggering. Please. And, you know, if you watch Suns broadcast, they've they've shared this a few times, but I, I think there'll be a few people that hear this going, wait, what? So Phoenix, going through the clutch stuff, number one offense, there's six, point six points better than the number two clutch offense in the NBA. That's a staggering <laughs> gap. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's an appetizer, though. They're the number two defense in clutch, which I think number one is Wizards, which is a little weird. There's always some weird numbers that jump out. You're like, wait, what, yeah. what is that?
0: It's, it's not as big of a sample size as you want, but it's still solid. Right. But
2: here's, here's significant stuff right here. The Suns' net rating in clutch time this season is plus 32.1, which is going to be even higher, I think, after today's game. Um, Plus 32.1. That's 17 points better than the number two net rating in clutch time in the NBA, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. That's insane. Oof. seventeen. They're plus 32.1, and Milwaukee's like plus 15.
0: Some other stuff with them. Second in points, seventh in defense. Fourth in assists, fifth in three-point percentage. This is all before today's game. Six in steals, seventh in turnovers, ninth in pace, third offensive rating, third defensive rating. First in field goal percentage. They're shooting 80% for free throws. As a team, they're 49-37-80. They're like kind of sniffing at 50-40-90. They're not going to get there, but 49-37-80 40, is in the ballpark third in defensive field goal percentage, third in three-point percentage from the other team. Every metric is that they're just killing everybody. Like the 61 and 14 is not an accident. What's interesting is the clutch stuff because you figure like that should swing a little more toward the other team, but it doesn't because of what we just saw today. When it's a two-point game, they just execute. It's almost like watching a football team. So I think it's legit. I think people should get ready. and. We are going to talk about Devin Booker and what, how the Suns cannot have a top three MVP candidate after this break. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. All right, so the Booker piece of this. So that 17 teams I mentioned that had 66 wins and up club, basically. MVPs from those teams. Curry first, MJ first, MJ second, West Wilt two and three, Wilt one, Cowens one, Kawhi two, Dirk one, Shaq one, MJ one, Bird one, Steph one and six. Hold that thought on the six. LeBron one, one. KG three. Kareem one. So the only time out of those 17 did they not have at least a top three MVP was Steph in 2017 with the Warriors that went 67 and 15. That was the year we voted Isaiah Thomas fifth. That was the year we had Harden versus Westbrook versus Kawhi. LeBron finished fourth. Um, Isaiah Thomas finished fifth. In retrospect, kind of dumb, we didn't have a Warrior in the top five. But that was the one time. And this, this year could be the second outlier. Now, I think, and I think you think too, Booker's probably going to get fourth if, they're at, if they if end up plus nine, plus 10. I think he's fourth. I know I'm going to vote him fourth. If, I, we have eight games to go. But if the season ended now, I'd vote him fourth. I think fourth is fine. I, don't, I can't put him in the Giannis and Bead Jokic class. He doesn't deserve to be there. But I feel bad because this team kicked ass and the MVP should represent that. But in this case, it's just not going to happen.
2: What are your thoughts? Yeah. Wait, will you share that other one with me too? You sent me a text last night saying, what was it like? Everyone that had been 25 and five on a one seed. What was that?
0: It was anyone, everyone who had been 25, five and five on a team that finished 80% winning percentage or better won the MVP, which is a little similar to the plus eight thing I gave you earlier with the, with the win teams. Right. But um,
2: Here's what I would suggest. Why are we making a simple thing hard? At any point this season, have you thought Booker's having the best season of any player in the league? No. Do you have you ever thought he's the best player in the league? No. And for all the Suns love we just gave him, like this shouldn't be taken as offense. Okay. Like some people are going to get upset. It's just he's not the MVP. He's awesome. They're awesome. It, you can't. By the way, you can't love your depth and the collection of everyone understanding their roles and having different options and also realizing that you're a weird team to attack because there isn't necessarily like one super weak link that you're always thinking about going at like even some of the really good teams will have a player that everybody goes hunting for phoenix doesn't like you don't get to have all of that stuff and then be pissed off that booker's going to finish outside of the top three i do not understand mvp conversations anymore because like DeRozan has two awesome weeks, then guys go on first take and start screaming their fucking heads off as if this <laughs> guy's the MVP. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like it's a sick two weeks. DeRozan was historical. None of us think he's winning the MVP. If I went out at night and talked to a woman and said, hi, I'd like to spend some time with you, and she said, well, I've got like seven or eight options that I would rank ahead of you right now, and I'd go, that's all. I just want to be ninth. I just want to be in the conversation. You know? Did I? <laughs> Does this happen? Did I, no. Well, probably. <laughs> uh have I accomplished anything like what if yeah. she says okay fine if this first seven or eight guys leave I'll then then you win um so we turn it into this weird deal where it's like so-and-so needs to be in the conversation you're like to finish fourth okay cool he could be fourth I think Tatum has a really strong case when you start looking at Booker and and Tatum and I, I and mean, look I, I hate to do this to Booker because I like him so much and his his numbers have been crazy the last month, 35 and seven assists, 55% shooting, 42% from three, makes all of his free throws, plays defense. Overall, he's ninth in points. He's 61st in, thir- uh, in three-point shooting. He's 53rd overall in shooting. He's 26th in PER. He's 18th in win shares. You know, he's ninth in usage, so it's not like he's using. He's 22nd in box plus minus, and you could say, oh, screw all the stats." He's just, we, you and I both did it all weekend. We looked at Jokic, we looked at Giannis, we looked at Embiid. It is brutally tough. Booker is not getting in that group. I'm sorry.
0: And it's between him and Tatum for the four spot. If Boston exactly. finishes with the one seed, then I think Tatum probably has to be four. Right now, they're a half game up. I don't know if that's going to last because they play the uh, the Toronto Pit Bulls tomorrow.
2: <laughs> not, okay, but
0: not excited to see the Pit Bulls tomorrow. The
2: seed thing is going to be interesting because Philly's propaganda machine is going to be if Philly were to finish with the one seed, they'd say, hey, look at this instead of Jokic because Jokic's seeding is going to be so much worse. But in reality, the records are very close between, I mean, Utah would have going into today, I think been a game and a half out of the one seed in the East. So if Tatum were to get the one seed in a weaker conference, I know it sounds cooler. And now I sound like I'm
0: arguing for Booker against Tatum. I'm not sure that that's the best argument. I think if they get the one seed with the stats that he's put up basically for three months, be hard to deny him fourth. Like, they flashed something on TV today. It was Tatum's stats in March. <laughs> now, March is like, what we're, we're almost done with March. 33.6 points, 54% field goal, 47% 3.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, plus minus of 175. It's for an entire month. I mean, the game has slowed down for him. They killed Minnesota tonight. Minnesota's good. Minnesota's, Minnesota's been, has awesome. been going like, at teams and right. beating teams and they beat the shit out of Dallas and they came to play. They were fired up. It was a tight game in the first quarter and the Celts did what they always do. They just blew the game open in the second quarter and they were up 20 and then they were up 20 the rest of the way. And Tatum, he's guarding towns. He's hes doing all kinds of stuff. So i we could talk about the Celts later, but I think Tatum has to be four or five if we got two weeks left. Back to Booker. So, Ben Thompson and I talked about who had a chance to catch LeBron with the points record, Who's if anyone currently playing has a chance, because he theorized Giannis, and we talked about it, and I think Giannis, for a couple years there, didn't get enough points. I think it would be too hard for him. Booker, fourth fastest ever to get to 11,000 points. He's only 25 years old. I don't think he can do it either, But it did get me thinking about, what's this guy's career going to look like? Because it feels like he's going to be 25 to 27 a game for the next 10 years. He's pretty durable. You know, he's going to have all NBAs. And it it was the first time, I I don't know why I'd never thought about it before, because he was awesome in the finals last year, in the playoffs last year. And and he's been really good this year. But it was the first time I started thinking about him. Big picture is like, wow, this guy... I wonder if he's going to get to like 30,000 points. I wonder if he's going to get to like seven all NBA teams. Like what is the ceiling for this dude? I hadn't thought about that before. Have you? No,
2: because I mean, before, prior to last year, I mean, he was he was kind of falling into that category of like good stats, bad team guy. 100%. I mean, he hadn't made the playoffs. Right. And that's why I would always argue that like I still think Donovan Mitchell, like he was, he was always, like it was very close. You know, I always feel like I'm, I don't even like doing the Booker rant that we just did a couple minutes ago because I like him so much, you know? But, yeah. I mean, sometimes, like, it's, it's kind of that, that neighborhood thing I always bring up. Like, we're going to start comparing you to Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis this season. Well, guess what? You're going to lose the argument. Doesn't mean we don't like you. I think so, that's
0: hard for a guard, too, unless it's like a Jordan-Kobe type. It's hard to just to put a guard against three dominant centers like that, and I consider Giannis a center.
2: Yeah, and, I you know, some of the efficiency stuff is just hard because you're talking about guys shooting from different areas and that's why curry was so absurd winning it the way he did with those two years but um now now i feel like he you know whether it's paul being there some people would point to the bubble end two years ago before paul even showed up the franchise that they built. yeah i don't know i mean maybe I, they even referenced again to the broadcast today
0: that something clicked for him well I, he I'm was also really, no. he was really young when he came in the league like when yeah. you think that he turned 25 in december i would have just Gutcheck thought he was like 27 because it feels like he's been around a few years. You look at um his stuff this year. I love that he doesn't have the ball a ton. Like he's 31.9 usage, which is right around where Jokic is, where it's not like, I feel like there's a world where he could average 30, 31 a game if it was a worse team that he just had the ball more, right? But he, That's he still pretty high. high. I mean, it's top yeah. 10. Yeah, but it's not, it's not it's, like he's, it's not like Harden during the Houston years kind no, of No, it's not Doncic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, his turnovers are way down, which was the other thing I think is interesting about this year. He had a couple of like four plus turnover years or at least one of them that's gone down. But just in general, like I was thinking historically, I'm not going to do the whole list, but don't ask. I was watching the, uh, boring Kansas game today and I made the, the two guard title belt. I tried to figure out who is the best two guard for every year since, since Bill Russell came in the league and what is wrong with you? What? I I don't know. I just it didn't take that long. I went through the NBA teams. But I think Booker has the belt now is the TLDR. I think he took it. I think he took it. If do you consider Doncic a, a traditional two guard or no cuz I had him for the last 2 years. But I think Booker has Luka? I don't know what position he is. That's no, that's a, that's a, a problem with a this belt, guard. right? I See am, a point. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I, right? I mean, he's got the yeah. ball as so much Booker as anybody So Booker probably has, the has it last year. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. That's the problem with some of this position stuff. But anyway, it was fun to go through and try to figure out, like, you know, some some of the Kobe years. Like, Ray Allen has it for a year. Reggie Miller had it for a year. Who's the weirdest guy that has it? Ben Gordon? I'll just, I'll I'll rip through these. Go through all 50. Well, some of them are like five years in a row. Right. So I know. Bill Sharman, Richie Guerin, Jerry West, Hal Greer for a year, Earl Monroe for a year, West for another four, Gail Goodrich, JoJo White. Paul Westfall for two, George Gervin for five, Sidney Moncrief for four, Jordan for eight straight, Sprewell, 94, Jordan retires, Reggie Miller, Jordan again, three more years. I had Iverson from 99 to 01. I have no idea if he's a two-guard or not. I got to work on this work. Kobe 02, McGrady 03, Kobe By the 04. Way,
2: just to jump in for people that may go like, what the hell are you talking about, Simmons, that Iverson wasn't a point guard? They did have those stretches where it
0: ran. He wasn't. Through an- he really wasn't a point guard. Yeah, yeah. He so, was, they used him like a shooting guard. I'm backing you up there on that. One. Thank you. Kobe 04, Rayo 05, Kobe 06 to 10, Wade 11, Kobe 12, 13, Harden 14, 15, Clay Thompson 16, Harden 07 and 19. I didn't know what to do with 2021 Booker 22. Uh, that was. But that, that I did it in 15 minutes. Maybe I need to dive into it a little more. There's some tough ones like Kobe's 06. That was the year he had 35 a game. But then Wade has the playoffs and he wins the finals against the Mavs. And like, I don't, who gets the belt that year? My point, Booker has it right now for the two guard. He is the all time prototypical traditional two guard and the best version of it over everyone else we have. So are you saying Mitchell's a two or a point guard? I see. I don't, I think he's a, is he, what is he? I don't know. He's not a, you don't think of him as like a two guard, do you? He's like a guard.
2: you would with Conley, but the great thing about Conley is that he's could always kind of float himself a little bit there. Um yeah. Because there's I'm, I'm some
0: not... weird there's some weird Jerry West seasons too, where he's like the all time prototypical guard for the two spot, but really played point for like the last four years of his career because that Gail Goodrich. Regardless, Booker Booker's entered the chat, I think. I knew you would like this. You you have like a confused, semi annoyed <laughs> smile. Should I mail this no. to you? No, it's, it's not. There's no annoyance
2: whatsoever. <laughs> the, funny, just, the
0: funniest thing is figuring out was like, all right, I don't have to figure out the 87 through 93 seasons. I'm good there. And then the 96 through 98, also good. Write those down. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was, I think it was Latrell.
2: So what was that? 94? Yeah. He's first team on NBA. Yeah. I'm not I, like, I don't remember off the top of my head, obviously, but I'm, I like was, that was the one where I go, I want
0: to look at who else, who else was in the mix. Reggie Miller, Mitch Richmond, that's about it. Maybe Dan Marley. I don't remember what Dan Marley did that year. But Latrell was like, you know, the good thing is the all-NBA teams are a pretty good blueprint of who mattered. Yeah. You know, and, and where to rank them and stuff like that. There's some, if we want to go deep dive, the hardest to figure out is the like 1977 to 83 stretch with Paul Westfall, Girvin, Dennis Johnson. Maravich is in there. Maravich's first team on base, so it gets a little hairy. The big picture point, Devin Booker has arrived in a big way. He has people pining for him to win the MVP that he doesn't honestly deserve. And kicking an ass, and by the way, completely outplayed Harden today. Which is another piece we should talk about right now, is, is the, the Harden piece of this. And, and just like this guy who Brooklyn traded all this stuff for, and then Philly traded all this stuff for, and Sometimes you watch the Sixers against a good team and you think, oh, Max is their second best player, which is kind of how I felt during that Suns game. I know that's not true every game, but there's games where Max is their second best player. And that's a fact. I was looking at a bunch of stuff.
2: Um, Philly still has some issues with the the backup group and some very pro-hard numbers were when he's on the court, the overall shooting is like a really good number, I think, from three. And then when he's off, it falls apart. Uh, and they do stagger... Embiid and Harden so you can't just mm. say well it's all because of Embiid as well but I'll just tell you there's, there's two things he doesn't move as well and it's you know how I know I he
0: doesn't move there was a play in the game today I think it was in the first half he did a pick and roll he kicked out to Embiid on the three point line and then he circled under the hoop and like ran a Ray Allen to pop in the corner and, and Bede was like, cool, you moved and threw him the ball and Harden almost fell out of bounds. He had to like keep his, he had to keep his balance, but it was like, whoa, James Harden move him out the ball. Like it's bad when I noticed that. Yeah. And when he
2: first got to Philly, he looked like he had that. I just got traded energy, you know, Yeah, like new outfit guy in high school.
0: <laughs> he was kind <laughs> of like, he was, he was like January 1st. I went jogging today, guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm that's, not eating bread anymore and then that's by January he, 10th he's ordering her pizza or like your wife
2: took you back and you're cleaning up around the house Yeah, know, shave. She comes home yeah shave clean up around the house put the yeah, sweatpants away I'm not away. drinking
0: Threw all the beer away well no hard liquor <laughs> <laughs> so I, I dumped he, out he, three bottles of tequila
2: he looks he, those first couple of games I was like oh this is going to be fun for Nets fans like who's that guy super yeah. engaged moving Best around so then so he became may- Brooklyn Harden again. Right. So, in a weird, fucked up way, that might be a positive that isn't in there somewhere. But, I mean, you know, look, we've been over the Harden part of this. The really alarming thing is that his finishing at the rim is atrocious again. It's, it's, he doesn't, we, bad he doesn't go it's by been.
0: people and he doesn't finish the same way. Doesn't get no.
2: free throws the same way. Nah, he's still getting his free throws, man. I, <laughs> I I look at that stuff because I thought in the beginning of the year I was like, this is amazing. We're back to this. I mean, look, with Philly, he's averaging ten free throws a game. So and he was getting eight with Brooklyn. He actually is still getting his free throws. Yeah, that's but, fair. And in the playoffs, when you'll say What's like it okay, today? it's it's not the same. There are games I'll notice where it seems like the officials get together going, Hey, let's be on top of Harden today. And it'll it'll feel noticeable. It's like, oh, he's not getting the calls tonight. Maybe they're a little more tuned up, playoff and all that kind of stuff. Cause when you do that, it's almost like you cut away 30% of his production. Um, because he's the most propped up offensive player by officiating that I've ever seen in my entire life. But when you those look days at, are over. When when you look at his free throw attempts over his career regular season playoff, the, the gap isn't that much. So it, you know, I know, I know that's part of the plan, but look, they attack the shit out of him. And it, that, that Booker play, I'm so glad you brought it up because I thought it was like a significant... We don't, you know, I never know how much these moments mean. Like, what do they weigh? And that felt like a bit of a moment there for a f- Suns team that doesn't need... Like, this isn't some young team on the come-up here, but that was just one, a really important possession there. I thought that meant a lot.
0: You know, it's interesting. I don't know if this is worth Kyle turning the camera on, but we had that era last decade when it just seemed like everybody was too friendly and too buddy-buddy. And I was like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks. All these guys like each other. And even when they're competing, it doesn't seem, there's not like any underlying animosity. And these guys are all buddies. They're making commercials. They're on the Olympic team together. I feel like the animosity's back a little bit. I watched some of these games and it does feel like there's bad blood for, like that Brooklyn Philly game. Exactly. And some of that stuff going on with Kyrie and KD and Harden, like that, that was incredible. The game today, I really felt like the teams didn't like each other. I think when Boston goes at some of these teams now, there's a little smart history because he's been in the league so long where he just, he really dislikes the other team. You know, and you go on down the line, there's just some good ones. I Luca doesn't seem like he likes anybody. Giannis doesn't want to be friends with anybody. And Embiid talks more shit than anybody in the league, which we love. But just on down the line, I, I, don't, I don't see the same reverence for each other that we saw five, six years ago. Durant and Embiid, remember that one? Wait, every, look, what is that? How many times have they gone at it when they play? Plus, everybody hates Gobert. <laughs> they, they, nobody <laughs> likes that guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, we had that stretch where the Clippers got into it with everybody. When it was Doc, when it was Blake. Because Blake, right. Blake would look at you, like you would hit yeah, him and he would go People dunk, hated Blake. And then he would just look at you and he had this stare that was like the biggest dick stare yeah. And then Paul would do it, and then DeAndre wasn't as bad necessarily, but like when Austin was on the team too, yep. it was just a bunch of complainers. So the Clippers had beef with like six different teams. The one you're leaving out, which is less significant now, but it was kind of interesting how it all played out, was the Westbrook airball mm. and Towns giving him shit. Look, Beverly gives everybody one. shit, but yep. you know, for Westbrook, I know this is going to be shocking. Which way I go on this one? But Westbrook, <laughs> who's been motherfucking everybody yep. at every turn. You know, rocking a baby and, put, and then losing the series in Portland. By the way, yeah. you know, all the stuff that Westbrook has done, the way he's carried himself, and then he gets a little bit back, and he's going to start doing features about how his legacy is being tarnished. You know, so it's like, wait, Russ, you can't, you can't do what you did over the years, the majority of your career, and then come out and start bricking it up left and right and be mad because other like that. To me, seeing other other players really want to give it back to him. Is because that tells us how bad it was when he was rolling and things were going well for him.
0: It's great, but we didn't mention Draymond, who loves to get into it with pretty much everyone in the league. Mentioned Marcus Smart before his another one. Then Beverly is just like a hockey player. He's like the like the eighties nineties, just skating around, tripping people after the whistle and stuff. And then we have my new hero, Jose Alvarado, on the Pelicans, who are only down. Oh, no, they just took the lead against the Lakers with five a down? Lakers down? A 20 minutes left. Lakers blew a 20-minute lead. Yeah, they blew a 20-point lead. Um, yeah, the animosity is back. All right, we're going to take a break. We got more to talk about. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game, and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today, learn more, and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee, no contracts. Right now, get 20% off any Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash-bs. That is simply safe with two S. Simplysafe.com/slash-bs. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, so we buried the lead here. Ryan Rossillo, now an official voter for MVP and everything else on the NBA awards ballot. It's a long time coming. I don't really know anybody who watches more basketball than you. Now, when we talk about this, which we're going to do this Sunday, next Sunday, and then the final Sunday, <laughs> we're just basically <laughs> snapshotting all NBA MVPs, some of these other words. It changes every week. Right? Think about Miami last week. Versus Miami this week, things change week to week. So we're going to try to snapshot it. But before we do, um, I want to pull LeBron and say, I was telling people for years that Ryan deserved to vote. <laughs> I was telling anybody who would listen for years that nobody deserved to vote more than Ryan Rosillo.
2: Well, um, you know, it was like, I when I saw this guy when I was in seventh grade, I knew he was going to be a great <laughs> voter. Uh, yeah, I heard, you,
0: <laughs> I heard you on local radio in 2002. And I remember I turned the house and I said, Someday Ryan Rousseau is going to have an NBA vote. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. We love nothing more than, Le- than LeBron compliments other players, but it somehow turns into a LeBron compliment that he's doing himself. It's one of my favorite things. But then people get mad. We're not allowed to make fun of LeBron anymore, though. So no. you once know. you pay attention to it,
2: though, you're like, wait. What did he just do? Like you almost, you almost have to sub, somebody be like, "Hey, did you notice?" But whatever, this isn't this isn't about LeBron.
0: Will uh, Smith wins the Oscars tonight? I told people forever Will Smith was going to get one. Hashtag Oscars. So <laughs> all NBA. Mark Stein tweeted about this yesterday. I got to say, I've had a vote since like 2008 or 2009, and I didn't know this was the rule that you can vote for whoever for first team. But like, if Jokic has 40 forward votes and 50 center votes, only the center votes count for that position for first team. So if he has 40 forward votes and 50 center votes and Embiid has 90 center votes, Embiid will be the center over Jokic. Which I'd, so basically, like if we want Embiid and Jokic on the first team together, you have to bend the rules and make Jokic a forward. But making Embiid a, a forward would be idiotic. And I'm just not going to do that. I haven't done that the last 13 years. I think there's a winner and a loser, and I'm going to pick between them is where I've landed. What do you think of that? I still don't really
2: know how. I mean, obviously, my first year on this, um, this is not an easy one. This is not entry level all NBA <laughs> right? voting. Get I mean, thrown in this fire, it's ridiculous how hard this is going to be, and you know you need to take it seriously. But I, I don't know how I, I, I don't want to leave either of those guys off. So what are you doing? Are you going to bend the rules? Because I know Zach Lowe was talking about, like, is it really even rule-breaking if if you look at the Mark Stein tweet about how this works? You know, like, it, it's, it sucks. So, it sucks the idea of Jokic and Embiid not being on first team.
0: So I, in the past, I just would have put both of them on and put Jokic forward, but I didn't realize that I might actually be penalizing Jokic if I did that. Right. So I got to find out more about that. But like last year... Embiid and Jokic were two of the MVP candidates, right? Embiid ended up being on second team. So it's going to come down basically to the last day of the season, what seed each team is in, where Philly lands, where Denver lands. The fact that Jokic played seven more games is going to matter. Like, very small things are going to matter. Jokic wins the advanced metrics case across the board. It's not close. Embiid wins the, when I'm watching these games, he just seems like the most intimidating guy to try to play against test, whatever test that is. And I think Giannis is the most consistent two-way guy at either of them. And I'm perfectly happy to take two more weeks. Guess what? We don't have to pick until after game 82. It's okay if we don't have an answer now. I have it. I have a really close and I think a lot of it's going to depend on the records. How about you? On the
2: MVP part of this? Yeah. Well, we went through it all. and I know. Here's, here's what I would say. <laughs> the advanced stuff is Jokic, and there's no other argument. All right? And I know Daryl, because it's his job as, as the head of basketball operations for the Sixers, he's going to be promoting his guy, and he did it with Harden all the time. And he would get incensed about Westbrook being on a worse record team when Harden's on a much better team. But it was just people fell in love with the triple doubles because it was new. We didn't quite. I don't think any not of me. us. Not me. Not no. This you, guy. you had it. No, you were right. And you and I think
0: you and Lowe, did Lowe vote Harden as well. No, he did Kawhi. He. I. I still feel like in the last second he was. He. He kind of went sideways a tiny bit, and I've never totally forgiven him. But both of us were aligned. Not. We're not taking Westbrook. Okay, that's fine,
2: too, because I don't know that we understand the usage rate thing that happened with Westbrook. Like, we could look it up. Right. People knew about usage rates. I'm not, they didn't understand I'm not saying it. that. But it was like
0: DNA with the OJ trial. People understood <laughs> it, but they didn't understand it. <laughs> that's perfect. I'm
2: not going to add to that. Uh, Appreciate it. Because then when you look back at those years, though, you're like, oh, wait, what was going on? You're like, yeah, that's kind of what we have now. We have these these heliocentric offenses. So when I, I bring up the Daryl part of this, I get it. He's doing his job, right? I, But... No, he's, kind of, a, he's kind of a bully. He'll be. He's like a semi-bully with this stuff, with the voters. I wonder if it backfires for him. Just a thought, throwing it he, out there. He so should stay him. out of it next two weeks. Yeah. Don't, don't he's do not, any texts. He's not going to. Um, if you did a blind resume of all of the stats for Jokic next to all the stats for Embiid, knowing Daryl Morey's background, the way we know, he would pick the Jokic resume 100 out of 100 times because the metrics are there. Now, the defensive metrics also favor jokic which is surprising um because when i think about if you had the ball in your hands and you're driving or you're making a cut and somebody's throwing it to you as you're going into the paint there is a difference when somebody sees Embiid there versus jokic there's they they make different decisions hell and even though philadelphia lost tonight, you saw it all all game that's
0: that's half court though i think i think there's a full court deficiency with Embiid because i think you could beat him down the floor and at that de- Because I was trying to figure out, hey, I'm with you. It makes no sense. Why is Jokic dead even with Giannis and Embiid? Giannis makes sense just because his team, you know, he hasn't had a full staff. But the Denver, at least they get back on defense better than Philly does. So that's got to be part of it,
2: right? I'd imagine. I mean, I don't want to bore everybody to death with the wind shares and the wind shares for 48. Do the net. Do Jokic's net for his net rating is out of control. Well, his total points added, he's, he's like a moon that we haven't discovered yet.
0: Yeah, Goldsberry does that chart, and like yeah. Jokic is in the far right corner. He almost looks like the mouse on your computer. It's like, what's that? Oh, that's Jokic. He's <laughs> over in the top right. And then his net for offensive rating, defensive rating. When he's on the court, they're 116.7 offensive rating. When he's off, they're 104.9. The defense is three points worse when he's off. For net, he's 14.3. Embiid's 10.6, Giannis is 10.5. The Embiid-Giannis numbers look very similar across the board, Um, but the Jokic numbers do not. And then you met the 58% field goal, 32.8 PR, which is going to be one of the all-timers. His usage is lower than those guys, 31.4 usage. Embiid's 37, Giannis is 35. His win shares, he's almost at three, which I don't know if I've seen before. He's at 0.299 win shares per 48. And 14 total. And then the other thing, So I, I, this is another dumb thing I did today as I watched basketball. I tried to figure out how many guys have been in the top 10 in points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game in the same season. And I assume Larry Bird had done it. No, nope, hadn't done it. Magic never did it. LeBron hasn't done it. The people who have done it are Elgin, Oscar, Wilt, um, Russ, and Jokic. And Jokic right now is is going to be 10th in scoring, ninth in. Oh, last year he was 10th in scoring, ninth in rebounds, sixth in assists. This year he's way better than that. He's, I think he's second, eighth, and 10th. But, you know, this is like to be in the top 10 in all three categories is bonkers. And we just like take it for granted. Nobody should be in the top. Like Westbrook did it, but Westbrook, there was a piece of that those two seasons where. Westbrook was trying to put up stats, right? Which kudos to him. It helped this team. It gave that those seasons a weird energy, but there was some stat chasing to it and he had the ball all the time. Jokic doesn't have the ball all the time. No, Westbrook has the single highest usage
2: rate of any season in NBA history. And it's like 10 more points higher than what Jokic is actually doing right now. So I'm going to add two other things to this. Um, I know the seeding thing would be like if if Denver were to fall in the playing game. Now, Denver's I'm out. Played, I'm
0: not voting for him if that happens.
2: Okay, so they're a game and a half ahead of Minnesota, which is totally doable. I feel yep. like if you've watched Denver closely, like they barely got that one last night against an OKC team that's tanking. Um,
0: they got crushed by the schedule though. Denver. No, they've played. They, they looked like they're running on fumes.
2: Yeah, and this has been going on a couple of weeks. Like I thought they were kind yeah. of on fumes in the Golden State loss. When Golden State looked like they were getting things going again. Again, I thought it was a good win for Golden State. But if you've watched Denver closely, they've played 17 games uh, since the All Star break. Maybe it's 18 now. I forget. But it was the most. And there was one other team that was there with them, and they just they've looked a little flatter. His supporting cast is not what Embiid's supporting cast is. Uh, but I think there's going to be an argument. Say if Philadelphia were to get to a one or two, then people that are going to be pro Embiid are going to say. Okay, but like how do you how could you guys have this guy who's one or two seed and then Jokic is on this other team that's a six or seven seed or whatever? The the point is though, it's like again, in a better conference, if you look at it right now, they're two, three, two and a half games behind Philadelphia's record. So it's not like this one team out east with Embiid is is light years ahead of a team with a far worse seed. They're they're yeah. almost identical in record. So that's going to come into this, this last two-week stretch. Here's one question I'll just ask you. Two minutes left in the game, tied. Two minutes left. One minute left. Shot clock off. Game's tied. Who do you want to
0: have the basketball in his hands?
2: Jokic. I think that's the right answer.
0: I think what he's doing. I I think what he's doing has actually been incredible. We we, we were texting about it over the weekend when you look at like his his next best four teammates versus everyone else's next best four teammates, and it's just outrageous. All due respect to those guys, but it's. Aaron Gordon, Monty Morris, Jeff Green, and Barton. And rejuvenated his... Jeff Green, though. I, rejuvenated I Jeff Green. And I know, look, we don't need to go over your history with Jeff Green and how you've... I mean, one thing about Ryan, Ryan's always believed in Jeff Green. I remember telling somebody 20 years ago, when Ryan meets Jeff Green, he's going to love Jeff Green. Um, <laughs> the... uh. <laughs> But his next four guys for what they're doing, like I actually think if you look at Denver's schedule, they have a chance to get to a four seed. They have a pretty easy rest of the way. Like they got through the hard part. And there's a roadmap. Utah and Dallas watching this right now. It's 86, 79, Dallas. So one of these teams is getting dropped to five. But Denver could easily catch one of these two teams, get in the top five. If I'm Denver, I wanna I I, I'm not upset about playing Golden State three six, but I would rather get into the four five and play one of those two teams.
2: Okay, can we go back to something we said, though? So, and you're right. If you look at Denver's schedule, you go, there's a lot of wins there. There should be a lot of wins there. It's a lot of, like,
0: tanking teams, a whole bunch of things.
2: And it should get a little uglier here because it's the weird thing about the tanking season, which usually has already started. Some of the teams that should be tanking, they just play too hard. Orlando has one of the most absurd defensive improvements that we've seen in league history. And we're also, if you want to do a different thing, which I'm not going to do right now, if you look at some of the March offensive numbers, like some of the scoring, like it's, it's up six points per 100 or something right now. Yeah. I mean, March has been this explosion offensively. So some of that has messed with, with some of the defensive numbers where, like, oh, these teams are getting bad defensively. And you're like, everybody's just getting bad defensively because the offense has been off. The you charts. know
0: what? Part of that is I think COVID, no more COVID and just continuity of teams finally. I think it's helped. I think
2: guys stop trying because I still think we're on year three. Like we're seeing good teams. Like, how does
0: Milwaukee get their ass kicked? I mean, how does Miami get their ass kicked out? But did like you that watch that game? I watched that whole game this morning. Milwaukee the Memphis game? Yeah. I actually thought Milwaukee was trying. That was it was kind of alarming. If I'm Milwaukee, oh, no, I'm no, like no, fuck. Yeah. Like it was a two point game in the second quarter, and then all of a sudden they're down eighteen. And it was like, what's going on? Like they're it's not like they're in a coma. No, and that's
2: without Jaw too. So yeah. I don't mean specific to Milwaukee there, but like I, you know, I know we'll get to it a little bit later with Boston and everything, but I keep kind of waiting on Milwaukee, and then they'll have a game where I go, What the hell I happened know. there? And then Miami, who I don't, you know, we look at every time I look at the standings, be like, Wait, Miami's still up there? And of course, we know that, but then that happens up against Brooklyn. But um, I just wanted to follow up. So if in some weird world, the Nuggets drop a ton of these games and somebody catches them, if the Nuggets are a seven seed and Jokic's numbers are the same, and Bede's numbers are the same, and Giannis's numbers are the same, you just wouldn't vote Jokic MVP <sighs> because they're in the play in game as opposed to being a six seed.
0: Playing's tough for me. I I do have some rules, and maybe that's an annoying thing, but like for all NBA, when a, if a guy is like 10, 12 games under 500, it's really hard for me to throw you on one of my NBA teams. I did this with Bradley Beal last year. I was like, Bradley Beal, what a season. I'm like, their team sucks. Like, he's putting up stats on a bad team. I don't I'm not put you in my top 15 for the season because you, you know, scored on a team that went whatever. Or maybe that was two years ago. And I think we're in the same conundrum with LeBron. LeBron's about to lose to the Pelicans. They just blew a twenty point lead in this game. Um, I don't know how many points they ended up with. But uh 40? He had 40. <laughs> or thirty. Yeah. And their team that team could end up fifteen games under five hundred. By the way, they might not make the playoffs. They might not make the playing game. San Antonio, I don't know if you saw them yesterday, but Landale has really rejuvenated them. Josh Landale. Bunch of ways.
2: Yeah, I said it's, free Jacques months ago.
0: You know what it is? It's Jacques o'clock. That's what's going on right now. It's Jacques o'clock. Set your watches. But the, the Spurs could absolutely catch the Lakers if Davis isn't able to come back in the next two weeks. So if LeBron doesn't even make the playing game, I'm not putting him at all on NBA team. I'm just not. I don't think that's controversial. I can't You're do gonna, it. P-
2: well, I got to look at all the forwards again as we get closer to it, but I'm still going to have a hard time leaving him off team.
0: One more thing on the NBA: the guards got screwed up. It seemed like we knew who the guards were for a while there, and it was going to be probably John Curry. <laughs> and now Booker's definitely in there. And then Ja, if he just doesn't come back, I'm not positive he's going to play enough games. Like, he's already missed 19, and we have eight left. Curry's going to miss 18 total. Luka's missed 17, and I don't know what to do with the guards. And you could talk to me in any scenario. Like, do you think Curry? Let's take him one at a time. Is Curry to you a first-team OMBA guy if he misses 18 games and they finish like 15-32 and by his standards, it's like the seventh best season he's ever had? Well, I
2: wouldn't compare him to his own standards because that's totally unfair because, I mean, as much as Steph has struggled through that six-week stretch, you still look at those numbers and everybody's like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And it definitely wasn't as good. And... If you look at those numbers, though, you're kind of like, wait. And again, it's kind of the eye test number thing where the eye test was telling you the truth more than the numbers were, but the numbers were better than the way he was being talked about. Uh, it's a lot like last year when we were doing the MVP, the all, in, excuse me, not MVP, the all NBA stuff, where as soon as you start talking down another guy and how, much, how many games he's missed, it felt like 25, like 15 candidates of the 25 that were thrown around had all missed like 25% of the season. Yep. So I thought it was Ja, I thought it was Steph. Booker is on that first team. But why am I going to have Doncic ahead of Steph if they've missed the
0: same number of games and Golden State still finishes with a better record? Right. So the the problem for Ja is that his team does really well when he doesn't play, which isn't his fault because I think Ja's been amazing and we've both talked about him multiple times. I think it's that
2: team, too. Like That the team, team has is some, really good. They have some Phoenix in them where it's yeah. like, we still expect to win
0: this game. What are, you, what are you guys talking about? Right. So I think the guards are wide open, but the only decision... There's only a couple of decisions I've 100% made. Booker has to be first team on nba at this Agreed. point. And I think Tatum has to be in one of the top two teams. I think he has to. Whether you're putting him second team on nba or first team, I think he has to be one of the 10 best guys. Okay, but when you get back to the first team, how do you do
2: Giannis, who's, if we're doing fours, Giannis is ahead of everybody else. Agreed? all right? So Giannis' so he, first team, no matter what. Then you have the Jokic and bead part of it, and now
0: you're telling me Booker's in. So what the hell are you doing with Tatum? How do you get him on that first team? I don't know if you can. The only way you get him on, so if is, you decide I'm going full traditional, Embiid or Jokic as my center, and the other goes to second team and is my second team on NBA center, which by the way is how the history of this award goes or this, whatever you call it. This was Russell Chamberlain for an entire decade. This was Weber and, and, uh, and Duncan and KG and Dirk Nowitzki. We could only pick two. We couldn't squeeze three of them on. This is how it goes. So if we're going to do it that way, that means it's one of Embiid and Jokic. It's Giannis. There's a third forward spot open. Booker and either Ja or Curry. And then for that forward spot, it's either DeRozan or Tatum. If you're doing a traditional and you're saying Embiid or Jokic, both of them cannot make it. You have to pick one. Then it's Tatum or DeRozan for that forward spot for first team. And I don't feel great about that because I don't think those guys have been as good as the beaten Jokic. But that's kind of how, how this goes. Uh, the whole Mark Stein tweet this week threw it
2: all off. It did. Because everybody then was like, wait, we can do this? And then I think there was pushback to that being like, no, you're not supposed to. <laughs>
0: so I'm like, is there a pamphlet we can get? Well, what we could do is everybody who has a vote, we could just all collude and just say we're all voting Jokic at forward. But I don't think that's the spirit of the award. We've never done that in the past. Yeah, I don't like that idea. Yeah. So I don't know. The other way to do this is you vote one for MVP and the other for first team all NBA. You just split it. You just go, all right, Jokic is my MVP, but Embiid's my first team all NBA center. But that seems ridiculous too. I don't know how yeah. you put DeRozan ahead of Tatum now, though. I don't think you can. I'm just trying not to be a homer.
2: Well, I don't think that look, Chicago has not been a great basketball team now for a few months. I will say and they had a nice win yesterday against Cleveland. They did. But Cleveland I, hasn't been the same since Jared Allen's
0: been out. No, but it just it, it they showed the little DeRozan Levine double barrel down the stretch. And that's that's when uh I was like, Oh, these guys aren't dead yet. So, Saruti says, you guys need to set the rule for the other voters so everyone's on the same page. Saruti's asking us to be leaders.
2: I'm new here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass.
0: You know, Saruti, I've been saying for years that Ryan was going to get a vote in this space and he was going to be a leader. I remember I told Dwayne Wade that once. Um, a couple more questions for you. Towns, I think Towns has to be on. The guards are pretty easy. It's Booker and Ja and Curry and Luka and CP3 and Mitchell. I think we have the guards, right? In some order, maybe CP3 could even potentially jump up if you wanted to reward the Suns more. It gets weird with the forwards. Like, And then Levine, is he eligible? Would you put him at forward or is he guard? What is he? There's all these, this is why I tweeted yesterday, Like, I do think we might have to kind of grow out just guard forward center for this and and make it a little more flexible instead of forward have swing guys and well just front know. court back court, can't you yeah or, some, or bigs two bigs two guards and then a, a fifth is just like a wild card i think could work and and people could say why do you guys need to change it all? well that's what happened in the game the game right. changes like
2: you used to have college basketball games where everybody checked in with a center you just did i mean yeah. obviously you did it at the nba but It would always be weird to be like, oh, what does Iowa do? They play with three forwards. That's weird. Like you remember you see the graphics of those old games, and you think it was so weird when it wasn't just center, forward, forward, guard, guard.
0: And it's like Jokic is a center, but he's really their point guard. LeBron lines up as center for the Lakers. He's not a center, but he plays kind of point guard for them. If you look at Boston, the lineup they play the most are Smart, Tatum, Brown, Al Horford, and Rob Williams. So who's the second guard in that lineup? Right. Is it Brown or is it Tatum? They don't really have one. They just have one guard, three forwards, and a center. So that's why this is so stupid because you look across the board and, and like, is Luka a forward or a guard? I don't even know. They play him. watch watching him right now. He's out there with two guards. I you feel... Know?
2: I feel better about Tatum being a, or excuse me, of Doncic being a point guard. Like, I don't, I don't really, yeah, I don't struggle with that one all that much. But like, if you go on Basketball Reference and you look up Tatum, he's been a small forward his entire career, except for one year where he technically lined up as a power forward. And yeah. then if you look at Jalen, he's been a shooting guard for the four years after his rookie year when he's a small forward. And then they list him at small forward again. Right. Um,
0: Jalen is technically a guard on this Celtics team because, like Tatum was guarding Towns today for but chunks that, of the game, you know. But that doesn't mean anything because Rob Williams is a
2: center, and in this matchup against Minnesota, he's playing Jared Vanderbilt because they they the way they use Rob Williams, which is why Minnesota, like right. it's a Minnesota Boston's a terrible matchup for the Timberwolves because of exactly what Boston tries to do defensively. It's like, oh, so you have a non-guarded power forward in this group? Like it's actually. If Minnesota, if they play each other in the finals, I would expect an adjustment there.
0: Just for the misses, KD's missed 27. He basically, I I'm gonna try to talk myself into him as second team on NBA, but I don't feel like he can miss any more games. Because right now he'd be at 55, which is kind of the spiritual cutoff. Curry's fifty five total if he plays the rest of the season, right? Yeah. yeah. Fifty five, right. I'm I'm fine with voting him second team with that. Curry 18, LeBron 19 missed, Luca 17 missed, Jaws 19 and counting, CP3 missed 15, and Bam missed 25, which I wanna talk about after this break. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, When you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises, and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. Heat culture. You talked about this at the top of your podcast when you went through <laughs> Jimmy Butler's NBA situations and how all of them have ended badly, and now starting to wonder if it's going to happen with this Miami thing. I I talked about it on my pod. You talked about it too after it happened on Thursday. And I I'm in the camp that you can't tell me it meant nothing. Then you think, all right, well if it meant nothing, then that would have meant the Heat came out and they were fine in the next couple of games. They weren't. They lost all four. They lost all their momentum. They lost the first spot. And that, uh, part of me is thinking, are they tanking to get out of the one spot? Well, that's not heat culture. But it's really because Butler's had a lot of trouble staying on the court and staying healthy this year. And then when Hero is either not playing or hurt, they have a hard time scoring in the, in the fourth quarters. And I think that's a bigger thing to me. Out of all the teams, they kind of have the least flexibility for anything bad to happen with the way they're built. You know, I don't know what happened to Duncan Robinson this year. I don't love their bench, but just in general, anytime you pull anything away, even a little bit, the team looks a little flimsy, but you know, it's been interesting after that happened. And then everybody has to do the, Oh, finally you guys are talking about Miami. Like Kuzma had a tweet. He, he, Kuzma did a tweet to a tweet that I did about just having fun with the Spo videos. Like, Oh, you finally talking about Miami. It's like, we talk about Miami all year. What are you talking about? And also, we should talk about this. This is a pretty ugly on-court incident. I don't like how it shapes up for them, though. Um, big picture, do you have them in your top three in the East of teams you're scared of? Because I do not. No, no. It's Boston, it's Milwaukee, and it's Brooklyn. And then does it drop for you? Yes, to Philly. And then I does like it, dro- does yeah, it like drop? Does it drop again to Miami, or would you put Philly and Miami in the same bracket? No, I put them in the same one. That's fine. But there's a gap. Would you go Boston, Milwaukee, slight drop, Brooklyn? Or would you put Brooklyn right there with Boston, Milwaukee?
2: Seeing what KD did last year is enough for me to still be scared of them. Um, And that's where, you know, I I don't know when we're going to talk Boston, but like there's still this KD thing that's lingering. You know, and I don't don't care who you are. Like these teams, there's there's no other team. There's no other staff. There's no other group going, ah, fuck it, Durant, first round. We don't care bring it on that's not what they're thinking at all so you know miami since the all-star break they still defend like crazy they're 18th in offense i went through i always think it's a really good indicator your record against 500 teams are better you know 500 or better record Uh, miami's 22 and 21 their development is better than almost everybody else but the development of some of the bench guys like when it comes to playoff time how many of those guys are you really going to trust you know heroes turn things around that's terrific bam is one of my favorite players in league. You know, Lowry still figures out a way, but I, I don't think there's a scare factor. It feels like one of these kind of max, they're like a way better version. Now, nah, this is disrespectful. I shouldn't compare them to the Knicks, but you know how the Knicks were like max effort, regular season kind yeah, of thing. They had no extra gear. But Miami's better than that. And Miami maybe could scare some teams. So I just, if you were doing just totally neutral fear factor of teams, I don't know how Miami cracks anyone's top three. You?
0: They do not. I actually think it's Boston, Milwaukee, slight drop off Brooklyn, slight drop off Philly, Miami. Because the thing with Brooklyn, not having Harris, and now it looks like at least not having Simmons, God only knows when we see him, I'm assuming we won't. But I think that's gonna be a real problem for them against Boston and Milwaukee with the with the Giannis piece of it. And people will say, Well, they had what about last year, K D he does step on the line, but I don't know, I I I just feel like watching that Boston Brooklyn game. I thought was really instructive. Tatum really genuinely believes he's one of the best players in the league now. He didn't before. There was like a little brother thing with him. That Scalabrini told a story in the, um, on the on uh, the telecast today in the, in the Timberwolves game that he was talking to Drew Hanlon. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll wait for you to make a face. But I like Drew. Okay. But yeah, he's an MB guy. So we're gonna we're just gonna hear from about it. So Drew. Drew was like with Embiid and Tatum was talking to Drew and this is Scalbrini's story. He said Tatum told him he really wants Embiid to get the MVP this year. He's rooting for him, but he's like, this is the last one because I'm winning it next year. This is Scalbrini telling this story. I was like, my, my baby's all grown up. I was like Vince Vaughn <laughs> on the swingers table. This was the guy who, he, remember all, how mad we would get? He would just get the shit kicked out of him. He wouldn't say anything. And he was just, especially against the other good players, he's hugging Kyrie. I think there's I think there's a little attitude with him now. I think it's a significant thing. I really think, and I think it started at the All-Star game. You know I overvalue the All-Star game. I think he was with those guys. and He's like, I'm as good as these guys. I think some weird light bulb went off. And he's never been the same since that All-Star game. Team was clicking anyway. They just made the white trade. But when you watch him now, he has disdain for his opponent, which he never had before. Like today, he had a couple where he just right down, dunk, sneer at the crowd. Um, He's just not afraid of anybody. He's blocking shots. They're contesting everything. I don't know what the contested shot stat is for the Celtics, but they have to be leading the league right now. But it all fuels through him, and I think he's a different guy.
2: Yeah, agreed. I mean, this team... I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. Uh, there was one note, if you look at the halfway point of the season, under 500 finish over 600 winning percentage. It's happened two other times. Oh. Lakers in 02, 2 uh, And then Utah did it not that long ago. Interesting. So, Lakers in 2 It must have been that team that had already won two, remember? And yeah, and they were, and they were unhappy. Flat, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I remember that. It was that Lakers team that was unhappy. I don't know if you remember that one. Was that
0: the Shaq? Oh, no, that was every...
2: Yeah. Um, All right. So, okay. So you have that part of it. Gorman on the broadcast of a game a couple games ago, you know, is there, I think it was they were smoking Utah again. And you change the channel and you come back, they're up 20. By the way, with today's Minnesota a. win, this is the sixth straight game. They've had a 20 point lead, which is the longest streak since they started tracking play by play data, which goes back 25 years. So it's the first time it's happened in 25 years, but it actually means it's, hap- it's the first time it's happened for even longer because we just don't have record of it.
0: But you buried the lead. It's been in the first half each time. That's, I mean, that's insane. They're, just, so, they're killing teams. Right. So then Gorman,
2: because then, like, I get it. If I'm a big-time Celtics fan, it's like, oh, everybody doubted us. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> no. I stopped Including watching us. It. Yeah, I, me look, too. When, when there was a tie for the third TV, the Celtics stopped getting the tie. And this is a team that I've watched every game for, you know, I don't know how many decades. Certainly not. Is, but there would be other teams that'd be like, you hey, know, what I want to get my eyes on this team. I haven't watched them in a little while. Instead of the Celtics always being on, because I just but you know, whatever. what
0: were you missing? You're missing guys that were 25 footers and nobody right. moving and blowing Eme, leads off the clutch. Eme scowling at everybody, and everybody was unhappy, and nobody looked like they liked each other. This team now, they fucking love each other. Think their clutch stuff was so bad,
2: Bill. They're still 12 and 19 in clutch I know, games. I saw that. Right? Their net rating in clutch
0: is minus eight. So then when well, they, they go don't, on the, they don't play clutch games anymore. So no, the, the stats aren't going to change. They're up by 20 every game. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, I still don't know that
2: I've ever seen anything like it, which is why some of the projection stuff, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And now I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, why would I put a ceiling on him? I'll admit, I'm probably not as- wide open ceiling on him because I'm still so damaged from watching it for that long. And you could say, okay, Richardson's not there, Truder isn't there, but whatever. Like It's still kind of the main guys, and they unlock something with the way they use their defensive alignments. Uh, I, I agree with you. The attitude seems to be different. I mean, when they threw it off the glass today and then they had the Derek White alley up to David Tice,
0: they are fucking punking teams. David, man. you just misnamed Daniel Tice. You called him David. Son like oh, me. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I'm rubbing hey. off on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's back. His second time through him allowed to do it once. Daniel I'll g- Tice. I'll give um I'll give He's the a father listeners- now, so. I'm gonna get. well, he got hit in the face again today, so he kept his streak alive. I'm gonna give the listeners the T L D R for the Celtics because it is legit. Tatum, we already mentioned Smart is playing for really two and a half months, the best he's ever played. He totally. actually almost seems like he's in slightly better shape, but it makes sense when you think about it because he I guess he's a point guard. We just, you think like going back to Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie, Kemba, even Schroeder this year. They never just were like, all right, fine. You have the car keys. It's your team. They finally did it and he's embraced it. He's been incredible. But I can't Rob believe was- that part of it because you're right. Like, like he, I
2: think he fought it all the time. I, I think if you are informed, there were stretches, were smart, didn't look at those other guys thinking that they were better than him. Right, And I think that was part of the problem. And maybe he now with Tatum's just, you know, blossoming into a guy that you like, you know, that's why I kind of like, oh, all right, you know, for Tatum, for me became a little bit more frustrating because I expected so much of him, you know, when it was J- well, like but, Jalen but Brown we turned out to be right. Right. But the Jalen Brown Tatum thing was always like, yeah, that's great from Jalen. And that's amazing. I'm not going to be as hard on him because my expectations for Jalen Brown are not what they are for Tatum. And I wonder if Tatum taking this next step, which he's flirted with in the past. You know, there have been teases that we were going to get here sooner. And now that it feels like it's real sustainable and maybe now what it'll be like for the next 10 years, which is fucking awesome. I wonder if Smart kind of came to some realization because he seems to be playing a more accepting role, which is a big part of all of that. I mean, there's a million things that's going on with this team. They can defend. They can switch. They have the right closing group well, the now. The switching, they
0: have, but they, they got size.
2: They have extra play make, like Tatum getting trapped and then not knowing what to do, and then a right. non-shooter waiting as the outlet that nobody cared about. Like, you don't see that anymore. And White hasn't even hit shots for this team yet, either.
0: He may shorten the rotation, which was smart. Pritchard got back out there just Pritchard, as an outlet shooter. Just give me a little more shooting. They really, really boosted Pritchard to the point now he looks like 1997 Steve Kerr in every game. And smart loves him. His teammates love him. Scott Bridney was saying on the telecast today about how, for whatever reason, when he does stuff, the team gets the most excited, like the bench guys and stuff, because they, they've really been trying to rebuild him, build it, build him. And then the Rob Williams piece. The Rob Williams is only six foot nine. It seems like he's like seven two, Catch but he radius. plays like he's he's like one of those I play bigger than him guys. Got hurt at the end of the game today. Hopefully it's not serious. But um,
2: yeah, we don't the, know yet by the taping of this.
0: But yeah, I mean. To me, it comes back to the familiarity of Smart's been on the team since 14. Tatum and Brown have been together the last five. Three of them have been together the last five. Williams has been on the team for four. All these guys, even Horford comes back, he's been on the team. Then they go get Tice, so it's even more familiar. Then they go get Derek White, who fits in with everybody. And it's just a team that feels like they've been together, whereas you watch the Philly team and they're trying to figure it out and it's game 74. They're trying to figure out who they are offensively. They're trying to figure out their bench on the fly. You got DeAndre Jordan's corpse playing 12, 13 minutes a game and, you know, the Maxi Harden thing they're trying to navigate. And then same thing for Brooklyn with the, even with the Durant-Kyrie upside of the fact that those guys can score 80 points at any playoff game, they still have a lot of moving pieces that they're figuring out on the fly what that's going to look like in a series. And by the way, if they don't have Ben Simmons, which they're not going to, I, I really think they're going to have trouble defensively. Like If they play Boston in a series, who's going to guard Tatum the way he's playing? It's going to have to be Durant now I'm now I'm losing Durant on the other side if he actually has to defend Tatum so I they're really well positioned I think it's Denver Milwaukee right now and I'd have Brooklyn third
2: I want to add one more anecdote um, because you and I obviously grew up with Mike Gorman love the guy in that Utah game which I started saying and I just got off a of rant because I have all these Boston numbers that I still can't believe but but Gorman in the broadcast as they're stopping Utah it goes you know as they're just they can't believe it either like look at this yeah. turnaround and Gorman goes you know this is a group that didn't necessarily love each other in the locker room in January the fact that Gorman even yeah. shared that with us tells you that is significant that is significant that all the stuff that we knew that we saw we'd all you know we don't share everything we hear either Right. like I don't know what to make of this team like here we go again and the rumblings are just like you know they they're going to have to shake this up or whatever and to ask those questions by the way is doing the job it's to ask those questions it didn't mean you had to go ahead and break them up like that's the other thing too this is turning into uh, Lamar Jackson was supposed to play wide receiver because two guys said it to <laughs> friend right, right. and and now it's turning into like Everybody wanted Tatum and Brown split up. And I'm like, I, no one was demanding. It was just so that you had never to, heard that on this podcast. Okay, I would say I I was open to the conversation this year knowing you were still probably going to lose the trade. You know, like I, this is the first year of it that I went, maybe you do have to break it up because here we go. It's January and
0: these guys suck it It was the first like, time I... I- it was the first time I actually like unlocked the door for it, but I, I did not open it because <laughs> at some point it had to be at least one more year because I want to see them with a the point guard. That was the thing. And now somehow Marcus smart recklessly is to turn the point guard. The, uh, the other piece of this, which we didn't mention was they traded. They made these two trades that I think were really smart. It wasn't just that they traded Richardson for white and white hasn't even been awesome. No, he's but not. white allowed, White allowed them, well, but he still knows where to go. He's good defensively yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But he allows them to play small ball. Richardson, they kind of needed to get rid of him and Schroeder. And especially Schroeder. I don't think the guys love Schroeder. But just to get him out, replace his minutes with Pritchard, not have to worry about, oh, Schroeder only played 10 minutes today. So it was like the weird addition by subtraction. You look at that trade. They traded a guy that were playing like 25 minutes a game for a guy who plays 10. But it was a good trade, you know, because they got Tice. Tice is happy. He can put him in. Horford doesn't play today. Tice plays, so a lot of good stuff. And I'll, I'll say the one last thing with them: they have an awesome home crowd. You saw it today in that Minnesota game. Like that crowd can dial it up. So going back to the one seed, and and I think there's such a misconception about this one seed. People are like, they don't, people don't. You don't want the one seed this year. You have to play Brooklyn. It's like, no, actually, you do want the one seed because Brooklyn's going to be in the 7-8 playoff game. The winner gets the seven seed. They're going to be playing probably Cleveland. They're going to beat Cleveland. Brooklyn's going to be the seven seed. If the Celtics have the one seed, they're playing the eight seed, which will probably be Cleveland. Might be Chicago, might be Toronto, but it's going to probably be Cleveland. I want the one seed if I'm the Celtics. Because here's the other thing that happens. You probably have Brooklyn... Brooklyn slash Milwaukee is the two seven, and then Philly in the three spot. So you might only have to play one of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly in the first two rounds if you get that one seed. You know, so I think the Celtics. You saw today. I think they're going for it. I think they've done the math, and you know, I think they want the one seed.
2: Yeah, because it's also like, all right, well, maybe I'll just get to the three seed. I think that's part of the conversation because I agree with you that it's always been like, oh, if you're the one, you're getting Brooklyn. It's like, well, no, you have a coin flip chance. But again, if you're paying attention to Cleveland, who was a great story, we love. They're not as good without Jaron Allen. It's a broken finger. You'd have to imagine he's at least back for that if it ends up being in the playing game as they said, there will the hurt. second spot. Uh, well, it's a broken finger. I mean, he's, he's going to be fine when he comes back. Uh, you still expect, you're right, Brooklyn to win that game. But I think that part of the jockeying was, well, what if we just drop down, screw the one or two and then you're playing in the 3-6, and that would be Toronto or maybe Chicago. The, the sneaky thing of the Chicago deal, the numbers continue to get worse. Like Since the All-Star yeah, break, they're the bad. worst team of the top 10 in the East, statistically. And then they're now 0-16 against
0: top three seeds. It's rough. And that's probably the team, if I'm Philly, right now it's Boston and Miami, 47-28, and 28, Milwaukee and Philly forty six 46-28. If I'm Philly, I'm so happy to be the fourth seed. I get to play Chicago in round 1 and I'm ready to go. Maybe unless Toronto catches them. Right. I'd rather play I'd rather play Chicago than Toronto. Toronto's 42 and 32. They're an absolute nightmare. They would not be fun to play in a playoff series. I think you would beat them in a playoff series yeah. if you're one of the Milwaukee, Boston, um Brooklyn trio, but it'll be a really hard series and you'll be down potentially in a game 6 by five with five minutes left, but I still wonder about Toronto's shot making down the stretch, but that's it's a really good team. It brings me to a, re- a really good, like frisky playing team. It brings me to rookie of the year. I think Barnes is, I think I'm going to pick Barnes the way this season is going. Now, there's eight games left. I could flip again, but uh, what a victory lap for you. You were on, Scotty. The draft you were like, there's something about him. I'm telling you, you would love him. You don't watch enough college basketball. You didn't say that as insulting because I don't watch enough college basketball. You're like, if you watch college basketball at the time, this would have been your favorite player. Watching him, the way he's evolved over the course of this season and how much he means to Toronto. He's playing 36 minutes a game, right? I couldn't believe it's like it. He's like a fucking 30-year-old. <laughs> he's playing 36 <laughs> minutes a game. He, he plays point guard kind of for them. He's I don't know. They use him. He kind of roams around. I don't even know what position he is on defense. He's just kind of everywhere. He's has all kinds of swagger. I think for, or what is he, 19, 20 years old? The way he carries himself is nuts. He's going to be around a while. He's very kawhi at times, which is ironic because they had Kawhi. But in general, like they're going to have a better record than Cleveland. And to me, if they have a better record than Cleveland, he's the rookie of the year. I mentioned this because he's like four to one on FanDuel. Mobley's still like a four to one favorite, and and Barnes is still, I think plus three ninety. I think that's crazy. I think Barnes is going to win rookie of the year.
2: The numbers are all very close between Barnes, Mobley, and Cade, yes. which is kind of shocking because they all play the game differently. The metrics for Cade suck because the team is just Cade. You can't right.
0: you can't win rookie of the year, and I think Cade's been awesome. I've really enjoyed watching him, but the team sucks, and when we have two guys who are on two winning playoff teams that are important to them. They have to be the two choices.
2: I'm going to push back on that a little bit. So you okay. really think Rookie of the Year like winning matters that much? I do. I've always felt that way? Because usually no. the Rookie of the Year is always in such a bad team. It's it's yeah. not always part of the
0: conversation. I think these guys are really unique. I think they are winning players right away. And I think if Scotty Barnes was on a shitty team, I think he would have better stats than he does because he would have the ball more. Like The stuff that he's doing... Is really important for them. Same thing with Mobley. Could Mobley put up 20 and 10 on a bad team? Yes. Of course he could. I think could, he yeah. could. The team could not that 20 and 62. <laughs> and He's not that far ahead. off now. He's 15 no, he's, and 8. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just, I think it has to be one of those two.
2: Okay. The only thing I'd push back in defensive Cade would be, yeah. yes, Detroit sucks, but that actually makes his job harder and he is more important to his team than Mobley is to Cleveland and Barnes is to Toronto.
0: Yeah, but he's more important to a bad team. So I don't know what to do with that. It's like, man, if we didn't have him, we'd go 12 and 70 instead of 19 and 63. Sneaky headline is rookie of the year harder than MVP this year? (laughs) (laughs) Coming up next. Defensive player of the year. I think it's smart bridges and triple J. I have Rudy fourth, and I don't know who I have for the top three yet.
2: I feel like I've been leaning Triple J, and I was really excited about the Milwaukee game. And this continues to happen: is the guy I want to watch defensively is not aligned. So yeah, Jackson was not assigned to Giannis, which is you know you'll see this stuff happen, where they'll have deals where Towns isn't going up against the other big, and then you know even today Rob Williams is guarding guarding Vanderbilt and not guarding Towns. Um, Shit, Mobley doesn't guard him bead <laughs> marketing was that fucking guy he's getting stuck in all these matchups without Allen. i know it's rough there there are a lot of nights where i go i really want to see who's going up against who tonight and then i'm like oh the coach is kind of doing the thing to preserve a guy and yeah making sure it's not happening so i was i was kind of leaning triple j and the numbers for all defensive stuff kind of Kind of can mess with you a little bit because all the Celtics defensive stuff is nuts now because the team is so good. Like, I think Tatum is number one in defensive win shares in the league. Uh, or what he was at one point, you know, I'm sure it, it may have changed, but I don't think it got worse. So, I, think I those listen three for, are the, fair. For,
0: for the people listening who don't haven't watched a lot of the Celtics, I can't overstate how fucking incredible the Celtics defense has been. It looks like, remember when we were watching those. The, when the during the pandemic we were watching all those Jordan games and we were kind of in awe of those early 90s Bulls teams with Grant and Pippen and Jordan we were like oh my god that that was insane watching those guys play defense i don't i'm not saying they're on that level but it it does have that kind of young legs all over the place everything's contested you get one shot that's it and they're just kind of everywhere and no i it's think it's, it's a thing it's, that's been happening for a while it's not just one week
2: no, but your point off my my twenty point lead thing, I think teams are coming in. Like I'll I'll make this example. I remember um I remember there was a couple teams that played Manziel when he was at AM. And I mm. asked the team after after they lost, I'd be like, What happened? But like we told our fucking guys, we told them all week he's way faster. He's he's like elite speed. Don't just think he's some little white guy running around and he's gonna burn you, and then you play and you're like, shit like this was this was another level mm-hmm. i think it's happening to these teams that are playing the celtics where they go okay cool they're good defensively here are the numbers here are their matchups here's how they guard this this is what they do here their tendencies and then they're getting on the court against the celtics and going holy
0: shit like this these guys are locked in and then williams the way the little gadget trick they use where they keep them near the baseline which has been talked about a million times but it's unleashed him we did, I did a ringer gambling show with House and John Jastrinski on Friday morning. And near the end, we talked about defensive player of the year odds. And it was, and I was like, I just, I'm flagging this for you guys. This is crazy. Smart is 16 to one on FanDuel and Jaron Jackson's 16 to one. I don't understand it. I thought those would be like my two picks. So we talked about in the pod, Smart is now plus 280. He went from 16 to one to plus 280 over the weekend. Jackson stayed at 14-1. and Bridges is at plus 320. Bam is the favorite at plus 260, which I don't get at all. He's missed 25 games, and they're going to be a four seed. And last thing I'll say about Marcus. He might be my pick if he played the whole season. Yeah, but he didn't. You know, he he missed one third of the year. Marcus, I thought, was getting older and slower. And I don't know whether he put on more weight because he had to play more two guard because he wasn't playing point, and maybe he bulked up a little bit for it. But he's the fastest he's looked since like, you know, when they were with Isaiah and Bradley. Like the like he athletically, he is at the top that I can remember with him. And the way he's playing defense is fucking nuts. Like I would be if he won defensive player of the year, I think he would be a worthy candidate. I think it's so hard to find a guard who can do all the shit that he can do, can switch on to bigger guys and just the the intensity that he has. I'd have him coach of the year, I have no idea. It'd be hard not to vote for for me, not to vote for Monty if they go like 67 and 15. Uh, I would vote Monty because it's they're just that much further
2: ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And it's real. And I I think they they look prepared. And, you know, part of it's the Chris Paul extension thing. Clearly not going to look the same way without Chris Paul. I mean, hell, if I really wanted to talk about what I think the most impressive single job is this year, it might be Ty Lue but right. i can't i can't vote for a team that's under 500 coach of the year even though i would i would be tempted cuz what that guy has done with that group and knowing that you just lost your two guys basically for the entire year yeah um that's incredible i think i think taylor with memphis is in the mix and i think Ime to take this group emee has and, to be in there it's i it's so hard this year on all these different awards
0: Ime had the most roller coaster ride coaching year I've seen in my life. It actually was, I'm, I'm not More comparing him More so than to, Walter Matthau? I'm not comparing him to Bill Belichick. Oh. But, Belichick had that first year with the Pats and he was six and ten and everybody was like, what the fuck is going on? He was challenging everybody and the vibe was weird and it was like, what's going on with this guy? And then the second year it all fell together. He made that first training camp, the first like, what, 20, 25 games, the amount of times that he called those guys out, that they had closed-door meetings, that he talked about how they weren't tough. I, it worked. Guys, guys are all tough now. What an amazing coach He's like Norman Dale and Hoosiers. I can't, Hoosiers.
2: <laughs> I can't he did it. Because I'm like, do young guys respond to this anymore?
0: Uh, the answer is yes. Tatum's tough now. It's like a legitimate, like, ha, like kind of a badass. And Rob Williams, who they couldn't keep on the court, although I guess he got hurt again today, but shit. Uh, let's end with a new More segment. No, let's end with a new segment I'd like to call This Is What I Heard. <laughs> okay. We're not reporting stuff. We're just kind of, we hear stuff. We hear things. <laughs> I like this already. I think there's some rumblings with the Clippers. I Is think that some the guy, end of the segment? Is that the end of the segment? <laughs> I think some guys might be coming back. I mean, they might have Powell and Paul George back, and then Kawhi, you know, everybody's like, oh, nobody knows with Kawhi, but I don't know, man. It's awfully quiet. And from what I've heard, I wouldn't be shocked if they just had a full team for round one. For, I guess it would have to be the playing game first, but it's just awfully quiet. That's all I'm going to say. This is what I heard. There
2: was what a it, report three days ago that said Kawhi would be potentially ready after the playing game. So right. what does
0: that mean? So I think they're going to have George back and Powell back in time for the playing game in some form. They only have to win one, and then maybe Kawhi can play in round one. Now, this would be hilarious if the Suns go 68 and 14 or 67 and 15 and they get to round one and the Clippers are like, hey, here's our full team. We're back. Just throwing it out there. That's what I heard. What I heard is don't sleep on the Clippers not having a full team. By the way, I can't wait to do this
2: next Sunday to, I'll do some digging.
0: And for this is what I heard.
2: No, on this specifically, this is what okay. I heard. Great. And doesn't mean I'm, you know, doesn't mean anybody's going to tell me the truth either. But that'll be. It's almost like a homework assignment for the other person.
0: I like this. Uh, We're close and strong. Give me a yeah. This is what I heard or no. Uh,
2: yeah. I'll, you hear uh, stuff. Think I'll, you've I'll, heard things. I'll give you something. Yeah. It was from. Somebody that is very locked in on the draft, mm. who did in person Chet, in person Paolo, in person Jabari, yeah, and said, "It's Paolo." Paolo's the guy. Yeah, Ben the guy. Interesting, and it's not just because of the Duke run. That's not that's not how this guy operates. I okay. Uh, what
0: do you think? I, a house. What do you think of House's theory that Chet should go back to school for one more year and fill out a little bit?
2: I don't think anybody does that because they want their rookie
0: extension in four years and not five. That's what I told House. Yeah, but if we lived in a world where you just did the best thing for you as a basketball player and the evolution of what you want to be and the ceiling you want to hit it's hard for me to believe him coming in and playing the Rockets next year. It's like an awesome situation for him.
2: No, but there's also those people that have argued over the years, you know, 20 something years of this now, where including the the high school guys beyond the one and Dunners, that why would you be better prep to play in the NBA by not working out with us and being around us every day and having it be your job and that kind of stuff. Now you and can then, talk about
0: And then James Wasman goes, hold my beer. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs>
2: it's, I I'm uh, yeah, it's a. Bummer. I'm bummed out. I mean, you know, asking him to step into a playoff run for the Warriors, they're going to have lofty aspirations, which I wouldn't totally write them off now at this point. But just from a depth standpoint alone, Golden State needs another big body, and now the Wiseman news that some people are like, can he get ten minutes, fifteen minutes, five fouls? Uh, no,
0: no. So um, UNC Duke. Before we go, this is amazing that this is actually happening. It is, and St. Peter's did their job. They, of course, they, they did. They knocked some teams off. I loved when they bet they beat that big clumsy Purdue team. You knew they were going to get smoked today. You're or not a Jaden, you, you're not a Jaden Ivy guy anymore. I'm not. Well, he can win me back, but I I didn't like what I saw. I think the thing to remember. This is why I don't bet on college. Is these guys are just young guys, and you just never know when the moment's going to get you when you're 19, 20 years old. It Certainly would have gotten me at times, but um, but St. Peter's did their job. North Carolina took care of business and we get this UNC Duke game, which I think will be probably the most hyped Final Four game since when? I mean, you have to go back to when I was like living in Boston. When was the last time we had a Final Four game that like everybody is going to give a shit about? Not just like people who just like to watch the Final Four. This will be the biggest story of next weekend. UNC playing Duke for the first time ever in the tournament, and they have a chance to send Coach K home, which would be, in a lot of ways, like this is almost like Red Sox-Yankees 04, where it's like, I just want to beat the Yankees. It would be great to win the next game, too, next round, too, but just winning the ALCS was enough. The cards were like the cherry on the Sunday, but the the Yankees were the Sunday. So if you're in the UNC, you beat Duke, you almost Want to send Coach K out? His last game's a loss to you. Be like better than a title, kind of.
2: For the do Not for the players. Right. I fans, don't know that, don't know that, right. not not don't know that anything's better than a title. I'm um, saying so, for but, the fans. But the K element of this, which now you look at it though and going, now that you stomped them in his place in his last regular season game and thinking like, right. what a way to go out. It's like well Now, yeah. now you got to up the ante in New Orleans against them. And Duke is so clearly the best team. Like this team oh, is my God. so good. It's probably five first rounders. It's five guys that would probably be leading scorers at other major programs. And I think sometimes they don't even execute all that well. They weren't very good defensively. And they got a hell of a scare against Texas Tech on top of everything else. And I think Ben Kara actually kind of fixed them and got them out. of. And then they couldn't get him the ball back. And if Roach doesn't hit superhero shots, we might not even talk about this Final Four matchup. So, I mean, look, some of that Arizona-Illinois stuff I love, but it's not this. It's not Duke-UNC. So there's nothing that's really going to match it as far as the best tradition in its sport. Um, so if I just started naming things like St. John's-Georgetown in the mid-'80s when it was three Big East teams and it was almost a, a fourth, except back when Memphis was Memphis State, they got in. That was a huge deal. But it's still not Duke-UNC. So every one that I come up with, the only thing I could think of is
0: Duke-UNLV the rematch. Right. That's But that was my point. It has to go back to when I was living in Boston for me to have been this interested in a Final Four game. Because this is really the only way you could bring the amount of history you'd need for something to matter. You're right. The UNLV Duke rematch was really underrated as an awesome sporting event. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I can't wait to watch. I really enjoyed the St. Peter's run. I think it's been a fun tournament. It's been a great tournament. Great tournament. I give it like an A+. The Elite Eight sucked. Yeah. Well, you knew today was going to suck. It had all the makings: Kansas, Miami, UNC, St. Peter's. I was well. The crazy thing is, this isn't, isn't even optimistic. like you want to talk talented Bill Self Kansas teams. This yeah. wouldn't even be in the top ten. What do you have for our top three right now? Well, I know I could, we. By the way, you're uh, allowed to. We're allowed to change. This is not set in stone. Just right now, gut check.
2: I know Jabari can't sh- uh, can't dribble it great. I did all my Jabari, Paolo, check. Uh, tapes and reports this week, so I did a, I did it, that at all three guys what this week, and uh, I know the warts with Jabari, like I get it, like he starts to dribble in traffic, it doesn't end all that great. Um, he likes to hold it a little longer than maybe you'd want him to. His guards sucked. They they almost like they resented him all season long. Yeah. And Paolo has this playmaking ability that when he when he gets you on his hip, there's nothing you can do with him. He's going to drive it at you, and then he can make these amazing passes. Jabari doesn't do that stuff. But to see Jabari shoot it the way that kid shoots it, and he answers the moment, too. Like, I heard some other stuff about him, like, oh, you know, does he float? Most of these guys all float, by the way. Hopefully not yeah. Ivy in his last tournament game float. But I'll just take the 6'9 guy that I know can defend already, and. I mean, he hit forty something percent of his threes bill, and there were a ton of times with Auburn being like, here, you shoot it. We screwed up the possession. So I don't I heard you with Jay Kyle Mann, who's terrific on this stuff too, where he felt he felt like the correction was going to come back around. Ben Carroll was going to be the number one guy. And I get what he's saying, but I'm always kind of a movement a shooting snob. You know, I, I like that I know you're coming into the league and you're him. He hits these turnarounds, Bill, where they're contested. And look, he doesn't do a good enough job getting to the free throw line because he's actually trying to get the shot off. So in a way, I admire it, but it's like, oh, that's another spot where you could have drawn a foul, could have drawn a foul there, could have drawn a foul there. But there's, here's another thing with Jabari. He is competitive. His facial expression does not share that somebody who's super intense because his face doesn't look that way. I think people are making a mistake with him because there's stuff he did. He had a South Carolina game where they're blowing him out and the guy started fucking with him. And he was like, screw this. He's like, I want to ISO this guy right now. Hmm. There's a Florida game that was a ridiculous game. He saved him. He brought him back in the whole thing. Um, I think they ended up losing that game. But uh, there was a guy that was like pushing him was they were trying to get position. And Jabari's like turning around, like slapping his arms away. Um, there was another play, too, where they were trying to come back. It was late. And Jabari hits a shot, and he sees that nobody's on the baseline grabbing the basketball, and the other team's like dragging ass because they're like, whatever, we don't want to start the clock. We don't want to start the five-second inbound clock uh, count. Jabari grabbed the ball and ran it to the ref to get the ref to start the count while the player wasn't set. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like he's this locked in in these big mm. moments as a freshman. So I like all three guys a lot. But I would go Jabari, Paolo, Chet now. That's where I'm at, knowing that Chet still has the best ceiling out of the three.
0: That's where I'm at too, and I haven't done any of the deep dive stuff yet. But just gut check, I want the surest thing possible if the three guys are close, and it seems like Jabari's ability to shoot and score is the surest thing out of the three guys. But that's what we love about the draft. Somebody who gets the first pick could get enchanted by Chet's ceiling and start really thinking about it, and all of a sudden he's going first or whatever.
2: Yeah, they did lose that Florida game. Sorry.
0: Yeah, and I might still
2: change my mind. You know, I might come back around on it because there's stuff I like about all three of them. This is going to be an incredible storyline, man. It's going to be awesome. Like, we're in March now, almost done. We're months away from this whole thing. As exciting as last year's draft class was and how great so many of these players are, the... The team thing may really decide this, where at least with Cade, we kind of always knew he was going number one no matter what.
0: Last thing, the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> They're 30, 31 and 43. San Antonio is 30 and 44. There's eight games to go. I wonder what the Laker fans want. Do you think deep down, they just want them to miss the plan so it ends, so they don't have to watch this team anymore? Or do they talk themselves into that if Davis gets back, look out? Like, I, I don't know enough Laker fans to know what they think. I know the Laker fans I know cannot stand watching this team.
2: I can't believe San one. Antonio. I can't believe they're only a game back. Because when you, I said, when everybody, I'm, I'm going to be wrong. Because I was like, are you guys paying attention to the teams behind them? Like, none of these yeah. teams are going to catch him, not the Pelicans. I thought the Pelicans could. And just to think in this matchup, like how much this game would have meant in the standings, LeBron's out there, he gets
0: 39. Um, But the yeah. Spurs have been feisty lately. The Spurs in the fourth quarter of the Pelicans game, which I eagerly watched, they had an all-white front line with like 10 minutes left. They, had they, went, Land- they went Hoosiers on us? They went Landale, Weisskamp, and, Co- and Zach Collins. They went with the three. The, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like... Can- I, I thought I was like, are they trying to tank? And then I went, I looked back at the box score. <laughs> and then I was like, no, no, they their starters played earlier. They're not trying to tank. This is, they pop thinks that have a chance. But uh, yeah, I think San Antonio is going to pass the Lakers because the Lakers, like they played Denver twice. Do you look at their schedule? They have some tough games left. Play Denver twice. They play New Orleans again. Oh
2: my God. Yeah. It's Dallas, Utah, New Orleans, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, Denver with Oklahoma right. City in there. You, I'm, I'm gonna end up being wrong. I was like, nobody's gonna catch the Lakers. As bad as it is, the rest of these teams aren't gonna to try to play well. And then here's Pop, you know,
0: making sure guys box out in the first quarter. The thing is, if I don't really feel like there's a difference draft spot wise between once you get to like ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, like whatever. You might as well go for the plan. All right, before we go, Saruti's gonna tell us about the uh the USA team today. What happened, Sarudi? Is a big
3: blowout? Oh wow, yeah. Well, um they have not officially qualified for the world cup but i mean they basically have to lose like six nothing at costa rica on wednesday night so with all you know basically they've qualified and early on we i think we were pretty nervous midway through they get some results against mexico they get the result on thursday night against mexico no in a game they probably should have won Yes. And you know, you come in tonight and you just go and you, you have like PTSD from twenty seventeen when they lose the game of Trinidad and Tobago. All they had to do was get a result there and they don't. So I think in normal circumstances, you're like, they have this thing wrapped up, it's fine. But you have that kind of in the back of your mind. They just come out tonight and absolutely destroy Panama five one. And Panama, they've been decent in qualifying, but um they have been pretty bad lately. Costa Rica's passed them and they're now officially eliminated. So the US is in, everybody's excited. Pool is sick, hat trick, dudes are excited. And um, as long as you know we avoid a disaster on, on Wednesday night, all things are good. So a six
0: nothing or a seven to one loss on Wednesday night, we don't get in. Otherwise, we're in.
3: Well, if they so if they do if that actually happens, which is I mean one in a million, basically, but you never know. This is the yeah. US we're talking about. They go into what's called an intercontinental playoff where they'll play like New Zealand. So they actually still can get in. They would just have to make it harder for themselves. They play an extra game in June. So we're basically in. We're in. They're, they're not, it's not going to happen. It's over. It is what it is. They're in. It's, it's whether or not they finish above Mexico. And they said all the right things. Berhalter, to the coach, like, we want to win in Costa Rica, a place that they've never won, by the way. They've never, I don't even think they've had a, a result. They never even drawn at Costa Rica. It's a sneaky, tough team, the Ticos. Um, so, Wednesday night for all the marbles, even though it's pretty much wrapped up.
0: I can't tell you how bored Brazil looks right now. Yeah, couldn't care less. By all, Could all not this. Care less. Just, we've
3: we've the, skipped this on going abroad for, for a few weeks. This now. is the most, un, just F1 talk. most unpatriotic you've ever looked in your life. Now he'll send me a random text and be like, less. "Hey, I like this Poole guy." i will be like, "Oh, McKenny, he looks pretty good."
2: No, I'm an unbelievable soccer scout. Unbelievable. Like I can watch guys for 30 seconds. I'm like, "I bet you this guy's really good." And sure, he'd be like, "Yeah, he's the best player in
3: the it's team." It's true. It's true. You'd be like, "Hey, Pulisic, he's he's not terrible." I'm like, "Yep." No, not even him. Like, you know,
2: <laughs> international guys. I'll be like, "Who's this? Who's this call up for Newcastle?" And you'd be like, "Oh yeah, he's their big new guy." And I'd be like, eh, "Figured it out." Yeah, I watched the whole quick.
3: F1
0: race today, guys.
2: Mercedes. What about it? Struggling, porpoising is the term uh, in their practice round. By the way, a missile went off like twenty kilometers away from the track, and they're like, "Get out there!" Did you guys realize that during the practice? And so, for um, Stapp, another win. Uh, terrific race. Ferrari looks to have a, just a terrific set of cars uh, this week. Ricardo so, doesn't finish again. I don't know.
0: So Ferrari, who I've been circling as my favorite team. Two and three today, two podiums. But yeah. I don't know if it's like a bandwagon jump. I got to figure it out. I it just isn't feel like I'm half Italian. It just feels like that I feel like you would j- be
3: jumping on like a down blue blood team or something, right? You're you're getting on a historically great team that's had some had some rough years. I
0: feel like the gear would be good, like probably like a strong hoodie, sweatshirt, t-shirt, cap game for them.
2: I don't know. A lot of this no? stuff is really loud. Scuderia. Is there uh, a Euro? Yeah. Yeah. I can see yeah. Just you, you feel like a fucking billboard. And you're like, is this what would you make this out of cardboard? Some of those. So, sheriffs,
0: so who's your who do you root for? Or you just don't care. I find myself rooting for Verstappen because
2: I think he's such a just a absolute freak mentally. But Big Cat <laughs> sent me a text today and he goes, did you watch yet? And I was behind. I was like, I'm 12 laps behind because I was I was trying to get out of the house knowing today was going to be another at the house day. And uh, he's like, I hate him. He's like, I hate Verstappen. He bitches the whole time. And he's right. I mean, Verstappen's about to win the race, and he was mad about a restart thing during yellow while he was ahead. And yeah. he complains he complains a lot. So maybe that's just me and like my Chris Paul Verstappen thing. Correct. Mm. Yeah. Because but I don't, oh, like, he's I don't like a, complainers. He's like
0: the Chris Paul of F1. This is good. Yeah, he kind of like agitators.
2: Except he's he's already had a better career arguably on the championship side of it because he's probably going to win another one this year Hamilton and Mercedes look like they're a mess and then other than you know F- Ferrari's got a chance it looks like with their cars but like the crazy thing is the cars are are drastically different Haas went Sam hinkey on this and they tanked last season as they started prepping for all the changes for the 2022 car I oh. heard all this from Kevin Clark by the way so yeah. I'm I'm a fraud a bit but at least I know enough about it but uh, the first race was boring. Today's race was a little bit more excited, but the Mercedes is gonna figure it out. They gonna figure out what's going on there, and they have the resource at least to do it. But man, that car is slippery to start the season.
0: What a sports time! Who knew? Are you F1 into was, it? Are you knew, into I, it though? You know what I love? I love when it comes on during the day. That Sunday yeah. morning, no NFL is just like there's nothing going on. Even if like you want a big golf tournament, even that's not really going yet. By like you know nine o'clock, ten. O'clock. Now I know that's going to come on a lot earlier. Starting when it's off next week, and then... I don't know. But that's that's when you really know. That's when you know you're like you're. If I'm getting up at five you're... in the morning. That's when something's going on.
2: Yeah, at the end of last season, I'm in you a, know in a dark room with the the sun's gone, and I'm sitting there going, "All right, time to time to get into this thing."
0: Mm. All right, guys. All right. That's it for the podcast. we so good to see you. So really thanks for the update. Thanks to producer Cobb Creighton. Thanks to Dylan Berkey as always. Don't forget to listen to Rosilla's podcast. I'll be back on this one on Tuesday. New rewatchables coming on Monday night. We did Panic Room. Good one. Really a, a fun rewatch. 20 year anniversary. So that's coming Monday night. See you then.